planet. When experts can't solve it, you'll find it in The X-Files, a new dramatic series premiering Friday at 9, 8 central. Good old boys. I'm Mark. Bog Beef. And I'm Hellbelly Elegy. This is, uh, I guess, the second in the X-Files review show series. Yeah, the first one we did, Beyond the Sea, was like a backdoor pilot, right? We, we, we weren't really yeah, dipping that, into it. That was it. like the post-Super Bowl like episode, just to kind of like <laughs> get us on the air. And now this is like the actual settling into the series. Yeah, what, have you ever been recommended a TV show by somebody and they're like, yeah, don't watch the first season of the first, like, you need to start on episode number 18 or whatever, like, like yeah. that. Yeah, we did that. With Beyond the Sea. Now we're going to talk about the X Files itself because not everybody's seen it. I, I, should we should we introduce how Billy L's? I mean, pe- people know he's been around. We've known him uh, basically all our life. We've known him. I've known him as long as I've known you. Uh, we've been we've been friends for a very long time. He is a man who has many different talents. He's got deep historical knowledge. Uh, he knows, as you'll find out, he knows a lot about television, and uh, he's the probably one of the funniest human beings we've ever met. Yes, and uh, I saw people saying that the good old someone said that the good old boys all they do is talk about like killing Yankees and starting the Civil War. <laughs> well, he does in fact live north of the Mason-Dixon line, so it's true. Um, yeah, so let, let's let's get to business. So, I mean, I think the first thing to say is I'll just come out of the bat. Like, there are a lot of we were talking about. You were saying before the, the show, there's a lot of sort of uh, TV shows that like they're just sort of janking around. They're not really sure what they're going to do to like the second or third season uh i mean this this pilot like it's all there yeah they hit the ground running even just establishing sort of like the role of the government these dudes are just evil really coming out strong and kind of like every part of the series just from the moment they say go yes i was watching the the stuff from the creator chris carter and he was and he kind of laid out the, the the two things that sort of there's like two shows in this in this series. There's like uh, there is the plot shows, and then there is the monster of the week. And he was sort of describing like he's he had known like uh, he had had like the main story and these characters figured out, but he also knew he wanted it to be a vehicle for the monster. And I say monster of the week, basically like um, I'm sort of in my mind. I'm thinking of like those old weird tales magazines <laughs> and stuff. And and he and he also said he wanted it to be horror. There was a show in the 70s. I've never seen it, but it's pretty... I'm going to say it's famous, like a cult classic, Kolchak, The Night the Night Stalker. Yeah, it was a stated influence on this show. Yeah, he straight up says uh, in one of his interviews, he straight up says, like, yeah, I, I saw that, I loved it, I wanted to make my, you know, an updated version of it. Have you ever seen Kolchak? I have not. I, I, think, that's, I, I think that's slightly ahead of our mutual times. <laughs> yeah, it was like ni- the, or the 1970s. It was, you'd be watching it with, like, Ironside and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the other things, so, you know, when he talked about, like, his, his the idea going going into it he, he laid out just a couple of things he laid out that and he also laid out that um the just the main character thing would be that there'd be a man and a woman and he was going to gender flip the the expected mindsets of them where you know they say the the woman's intuition and that um i get you know he was saying that, that uh you know you expect the man to be more analytical and 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 et cetera, and and the woman to be intuition driven, and he and he said that was flipped. Well, he know where he got that from uh, was Silence of the Lambs, which had just come out like a year or two before. That's a great well, point. Uh, I never even thought about that. Yeah. 
Okay, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, who, who, who was that? Jodie Foster. Yeah, Jodie Foster. Yeah. I don't. Did she have red hair in there? She did. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> that, that, that's on the money. <laughs> and I noticed one, one of the other things is that um. So he's talking about their. When he was talking about the the casting of these two characters, he said that the studio execs said that that uh, Jillian Anderson did not have. She did not fit the profile of like a leading uh, TV character in a hit show. What do you think they meant by that? What was what what did a, le- a female leading character in 1993 have? I don't. I I heard I heard him say that in the interview, and I'm not sure. Like, did they not think that she was pretty enough? Like, that couldn't be it, right? I'd always heard back when the show was on when I was young. There was like the urban legend that they thought she was too pretty to be an FBI agent. That like they had to do stuff to to um, bring her back down to earth. Like they covered up her beauty mark and and stuff like that. However, as we talked about in the last one, uh, every every young man was in love with Jillian Anderson in the nineties. Like er, mm-hmm. every and not just like like every teenage boy. It's like if you were like under the age of thirty, you loved Jillian Anderson. So I don't know what they possibly could have been looking for, uh, uh, you know, other than blonde. <laughs> right. The only thing I was thinking of was like uh, Farrah Fawcett killed on TV, right? Yeah, but like that was like fifteen years before that. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I can't place anything else like in that specific era. I, I feel like I watched like a fair amount of TV drive period, but I can't quite determine like who the Fox execs had to have been picturing when they were if they were saying that. Yeah, it's interesting because he said like when the Coveney came in, he were like, okay, he's got it. Like, um, I you know, there's there's personal things about Duchovny that make him similar to the the character, but also uh, and, and I you know he led into he's like, well, Duchovny has like the like star power. Uh, movie guy charisma etc and then then he sort of tra- then when he got to to Julian anderson he kind of trailed off and he's like well you know um uh it just kind of <laughs> you know well, here, here maybe this will help a little bit so here here, here are the most popular 1992 1993 television shows that had female either leads or co-leads murphy brown that's a big one mm. roseanne yeah she didn't definitely fit the bill for that one uh home improvement the mother was like basically hardly a character and cheers which i guess had diane and then later on kirstie alley in other words comedy comedy people oh that's a good point that is a very good point yeah yeah because see like well and this is a this is a a a consistent problem in television like there were i guess three kinds of television shows back then there were there were dramas a woman has a very specific role in the drama there's the comedy also a very specific role you either have like the roseanne clown character or the the wife who plays the straight woman and then you had things that were either soap operas or glorified soap operas, which revolved around personal drama. But, hmm. you know, the thing is today, like we make fun of soap operas, but like every TV show now is between 10 and 100 percent soap opera, if you think about it, because because of because of the growth of serialization in, te- in television and television shows. Mm-hmm. These both these actors, they also, uh, you know, he was talking about. When he was talking about this with Mulder, but I'm thinking this goes for both. Where he says, uh, he says that Duchovny basically he he did the character by underacting, and I think this is something you get with both of them. That uh, you know when you see in, in TV shows where you have like people that sort of uh, came out through through theater. You know they they have this like more more exaggerated and they holler and yell. Yeah. It's a mechanical see- thing because if you're in a theater, you have to do that. You have to project everything. People are watching you from a distance. 
And then, whereas with the cat, when the film, they're they're watching you extremely close up. This is a big problem in early film, where one of the um, there's a problem stylistic change. If you watch early movies, and I don't just mean silent movies, like early talking movies, like look at the early John Wayne movies. They are overacting like a just because that's just how you that's how you acted. It took a long time to get used to the change in technology. Hundred percent. Yes, uh, and like. I mean, this is like such the opposite of that. It's super subtle. There are almost, I mean, there are, uh, it wasn't this episode in particular, but when I was watching other episodes and stuff, there's like, they're more have a problem with like basically mumbling and stuff. There are scenes where I had to like jack the volume and you still can't really tell what they said. They're just, which is more like real life. People don't talk in this crazy exaggerated tone. It's very, and uh, I don't know, if, I don't know if you could call this gritty or whatever, but this is all kind of um, it's procedural. Yeah, I, I don't know how much of this was, was on was like this on on, on TV uh, at that time. I know, you know, you're talking about with women. You know, it's funny we were talking about these other shows with prominent women on. It's all like, um, you know, kind of funny women that are like, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, super attractive, uh, but. You know, when you think of any of the shows that were serious then, or even mildly serious, like um, did MacGyver had a girlfriend? Did Knight Rider have a girlfriend? Did uh, Miami Vice guys have a girlfriend? <laughs> I don't think so. I think so. they were like they had the Jerry Seinfeld school of here's a rotating uh, girlfriend, like a, a a future starlet who's gonna who's gonna play your girlfriend for one episode and then vanish into the ether forever. Yeah, and the Miami Vice pilot, like the show, opens up with him. Uh, they basically explain he's like a deadbeat dad, so you, his, his wife <laughs> isn't going to be around. I so, am yeah. a man. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so so we get started in the show. Yeah, and you know, I I, I don't want our our X Files shows to be like there are a lot of sh- there are a lot of people who do these reviews of episodes where they just like read the plot to you and then make a snarky comment. I don't want to do that, but however, for the pilot episode, you kind of have to you kind of have to do that because. Everything's being introduced. Like the first, the very first scene in the show, you know, there's the 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 quick tag of like there's an alien abduction that happens, or maybe it's an alien abduction. We don't know. There's just some weird stuff happens, and then immediately, bam, you're cutting to Gillian Anderson in like a, a like a late '80s, early '90s pantsuit, right? And she's walking through the FBI office. Like you can you just see from the moment that she comes on the screen. Okay, this is supposed to be. A serious character. Well, even before you get to the whole like opening abduction thing, you have the uh, the title card ahead of it with like the whole you know. <laughs> yes, the the Fargo. Yeah. This oh, the God, following yeah. story yeah. is inspired by actual documented the events. Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, <laughs> opening. So even before you get that, you have that kind of setting the tone of like you know this is this is not Mork and Mindy. Please don't turn the channel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like yeah, no, it's exactly that. It's it's the you know we're going to be dealing with aliens and fluke men, but we promise you this is like serious business television. <laughs> Interesting point. Do you know what the lead-in was for the pilot of the X Files? Like what what was airing before it? I watched the pilot when it was on TV, and I'd never heard of the X Files, so it must have been something dumb because I was watching it when I was a child. It was a uh, Briscoe County Junior. Oh man. I don't. Did did you did either of you watch that show? I love that show. I I never. I actually had not heard of it until I was kind of doing my research before this, and I don't know how a sci-fi western starring Bruce Campbell has gone 
under my radar for you know 30 something years of my life but i it was one of my favorite shows i watched it every week and when they canceled it it was like the first time some like that you know People people get weird about canceled TV shows, like they get nostalgic or whatever. That's the first show that I got. I, I was mad at the television for not showing any more <laughs> Bruce Campbell cowboy antics. Yeah. Now another thing that you see when the show starts is that this is like the most well lit you're gonna see anything for the next like seven seasons. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, the sun is out, and when they go inside, like all the lights are on and stuff, and which I think is cool because like they don't really. We don't we don't walk into an X Files set until a little bit later, but uh, like when they when she walks in the building, it's like she's on another show where things are well lit. Well, the the guy who made the show said that the the guy who directed this episode never directed another X Files episode. He went on to do other stuff, and like it, that happens a lot too. I I know like a lot of times they'll shoot pilots kind of on location or on or on locations that are closer to. You know, that's not in Southern California disguised as Pittsburgh or whatever, you know? Yeah. So a lot of times it will look a a lot different than the show does because everything else happens within this, like, 300-mile radius of L.A. because of, I think, uh, union rules, right? You get more per diem if you you stray outside of this this area. Yeah, so the pilot for this was actually shot mostly in Vancouver, and actually a lot of the show mm-hmm. shot there as well. Um, you you are kind of right, and you know, here's well disclose that I kind of work in the business side of television broadcasting. <laughs> um, and yeah, like you said, the idea of someone directing your pilot and then not signing on for the rest of the series is like, it's super common because your pilot is really just you going to the network and be like, hey, you can sell ads with this. Like that is, you know, what, television is all about um kickstarter for your television show no it really is because television networks sell all their ad space in the spring or try to sell like the majority of it um so that's really when they want like their punchy stuff to kind of display and secure all that marketing money before they kind of have to scramble and start finding things like through the rest of the year are we talking about the director here yeah the director of the episode but it's not like he was a he was a nobody and they just didn't have the money. What they made it sound like is that he was a superstar. I don't know if I would say superstar, but they said that like he won a bunch of awards for this and they followed what he did. They modified it some, but um. So I, let's get to the scene where they meet Mulder. So at the beginning, she she sort of shows up to the FBI building. She uh, checks in and she goes into the. Office of her supervisor, right? Right. And um, we see the smoking man is there for the first time, and her her sort of FBI managers. One thing that 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 I that I saw Chris Carter say was that you know the the FBI is not is not the big bad guy. Of course, the 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 big bad guy is essentially like the deep state slash wasp conspiracy, and the FBI is just sort of a like a. They're middle management they're un- in between. They're unwitting middlemen in a conspiracy. They don't realize what's happening. That's that's what he says. I don't I don't know if I buy that. I think he said that after the fact, after the show was a hit. Because like there's a 
there's this anecdote about him that like the FBI contacted him after the show came on to like take him to do stuff, and, like sucked up to him basically. Like I guess to like say, yeah, hey, please stop telling people that we know that we killed JFK <laughs> and we know where the aliens are. And so like, but, I, I think, but I, I don't. But the smoking man. No, all I'm saying is like the smoking man the doesn't F- work for the FBI. That's true. We find out right, at right. the end of the episode. Right. In other words, he can just like walk onto campus and tell these people what to do. Yeah. Because they're like a. Uh, there's another organization above FBI. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if I entirely buy that explanation either, just c- literally considering how they straight up set up Scully to be like, we need you to just kind of like discredit this guy so we can yeah. just shut down this operation. Like, that is a very clear directive. And, you know, if they were totally unwitting, I don't think they would particularly care if you had this lone wacko chasing after Bigfoots or whatever. Yeah, if you read between the lines of the introduction, they say, uh, "Hey, you're you're Scully, and we're going to do the exposition where it's like, yeah, you 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 just graduated from med school, or you've graduated from med school, and you've been teaching or whatever, and you're kind of new to the FBI, maybe not super new, like but kind of new, and, and you know, two uh, years, yeah, and, and, oh, nice, uh, and and they say, you know, hey, have you ever heard of have you ever heard of this guy called uh, Fox Mulder, and she she goes, oh yes." Uh, he's an Oxford educated genius analyst, but people call him spooky. You know, she's he, he's a genius, but he's into these really weird things. And they say, yeah, that's I'm glad you've heard of him because you, we're going to assign you to, to use your scientific outlook to to work with him on these these files that he like the X Files wasn't Mulder's assignment. This was just stuff he was doing extracurricular. And they didn't like that, so they said the best thing to do is, I guess, put him on, put him to actually to work there, and we'll sandbag him with this lady whose job it is, as she says, to debunk him. Like, you know, you're just gonna, you're gonna fact check the the alien stuff that Mulder's doing, and make sure that nothing comes of it. And she picks up on this immediately, and and kind of calls it out, which is, I think, the, the one of the central points that the pilot tries to get across is that they bring her in as a hired gun to shoot him down, but like she's actually really good at her job, way better at her job than they want her to be. Right. Yeah, no, they're hoping that she shuts it down through like objective observation, but the problem is her objective observation, <laughs> you know, doesn't totally align with yeah, when, the when, result they want. When there are alligators in the sewers, having the, the just the facts ma'am person there documenting everything is bad if you're trying to cover up the existence of the you know, the lizard people of Alderon three. It's like, okay, so if the FBI doesn't like spooky, uh, spooky, then why can't they just get rid of him? Well, they explained that pretty well. So he, first off, he you know he comes in with high credentials from Oxford, and he's something of an expert. I believe they something they, they I, what they explain it like sounds like criminal psychology. Yeah, basically. he's a profiler. He's a, he's right. an analyst, and he's, she says he's genius tier, like one, like the best analyst in the world, and that's one of right. the reasons why they can't get rid of him because he's really good at his his real job. Well, that's how that's how he's he sort of rockets to stardom through that, but then he he develops a personal interest in this thing called the X Files. By that time, he has he has has made contacts with uh, congressmen and senators who basically just uh, keep him from getting fired. But they would fire his ass like immediately if he did not have. And they especially we meet him later. There's a senator basically that's on I guess one of these. Um, uh, oversight committees or whatever that basically keeps him there. But outside of that, I mean, he's almost like an, an enemy at this point. And it's, from what I understand, like, uh, you know, by that point, he is, um, you know, that he's protected. He basically loses interest at in, in all in his assigned job and he just starts um, freelancing. 
then his his personal interest, the X Files. They never told him to work on the X Files. I, well, right. I think I think that when the show starts, that's when they are fit. They say, "Okay, you want to do this so much, go ahead and do this now. This is now you're, you're in the basement. This is your job." Because you never see either of them throughout the entire series doing any other job for the FBI, with with one exception, other than these X Files. Like the the, the like the X Files. He explains to her, oh, we'll just go on to the next, the, the, the next one. She meets Mulder. This is important. Uh, like immediately, like you described, he's like this understated guy. And he says, uh, welcome to the basement. We're at the FBI's most unwanted. And like within two minutes of speaking, he asks her if she believes in UFOs. Yes. he's he's a, It's a very interesting character because he's, uh, I think that they mean him to be kind of autistic because like, um, <laughs> Kind you know, of <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, like, even, like, uh, he doesn't look people in the eye when he talks to them and stuff like that. I actually also kind of know this down. Like, he, he, I don't know if this is just what was intended to be his personality or if it was just kind of, like, the somewhat uneven dialogue that they gave him. But, like, his tendency to, like, quip at really weird times definitely feels like <laughs> <Yes>. a... <laughs> Yes, yes, there's a, yes, especially later oh, on, there's yep. a, uh, that must be planned. That is genius. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like he's, not, so he's, not reading the room is like a corpse falls out of a coffin. Just kinda... Yes, yes. So, so that he's, wasn't part of procedure, huh? <laughs> yeah. So he, so you know, but the the twist is that so he's autistic, but he also sort of rides on intuition, which is not really an autist thing. Um. Yes. Yeah, so so we meet him, and um, you know, he sort of talks about. It, but by the way, he does tell her. He says. Basically, I'm still here because I have protection on Capitol Hill. Right. That's, that's it. Yeah, like it's important. Well, I don't know if it's important. It should be noted, the X-Files were not ever a thing. They were. He explains to her in this scene, they would investigate something and they would they would see stuff that you know was paranormal and they would instantly pull the FBI agents out and just throw it into a, into a garbage file. Like, here's all the crap. We don't know what it is. We don't want to know what it is. Like Mulder called this the X. I think Mulder like named it the X Files. Yeah. It wasn't like there was an X Files mm. division. J. Edgar Hoover is not giving people orders to go, you know, chase down Swamp Thing. That's not. That's not. None of this was planned. They don't want it to happen. It's literally a file cabinet, though. Yeah, in the basement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That is. Uh, we've talked about it before. It's season six. Like there, it's just a literal metal file cabinet filled with paper files. That is the X Files. I want I want to drop a bomb. Okay, so they they meet and they're going to go to Oregon because there's a only at the beginning of the show you see a possible abduction. He's going to go investigate it. It's not super important for for the purposes of our. The FBI looked at it like a month ago and they threw it, tossed it in the yeah. X Files. Here's where I want to throw you guys a curveball because I asked you before and you guys didn't watch the deleted scenes. So there's a deleted scene right after Mulder tells them they're going to Oregon, where Scully goes to visit her boyfriend who she lives with who is a journalist, Ooh. television journalist, and tells her, sorry, baby, I got to go to Oregon. And they, you know, have a little conversation about that. So in the pilot, originally, there are two scenes that are deleted from the pilot, and they both involve her, her boyfriend. One of them is that one, and the other one is her in bed with her boyfriend. They cut this, they cut this scene, and it's like, this is the best cut, like the best like thing to cut I've, I've ever seen in a deleted scene, because putting that putting those scenes in would have made the would have changed the tone of the entire television show and like the entire series. Yeah. It would have been wow. horrible. That is huge. Yeah. Like, cause I definitely have some points to make later how like, yeah, this was like the first like fandom show. And that was like such a big part of it. So yeah. Wow. 
Yeah, that they're genius with editing. Like, I don't know if this is if this is true or not, but I've sort of seen stuff like this. That, um, so you know, part of the show is that um, there's sexual tension between them, but yeah. it's it's never completed. And like, to be honest, it would like ruin it as soon as it, it it is. Yes, that's explicitly the case. Like, this has happened before in TV shows. Yeah, and so they kind of like they. Uh, from what I understand, there like there's a couple kisses in like the first five seasons. They just edited them out. However, like <laughs> you know, the people on the show they sort of behave it as if these people are fucking, but they're not. But you never see it. They cut all that, and so it just sort of makes like the perfect. Um, uh, uh, you know what I mean? When when you told me about that, uh, how they they filmed them, like you know, they had scenes where they kissed and they cut them. It made me laugh because like when we do the podcast, we'll do things like where we're going to rant about something that we're mad about you know, from Twitter or whatever. And we'll just, we'll just, you know, complain and bitch about something. And then I'll, we'll just go back and post and, and edit it all out. It's the, per, it's the perfect, it's and the you're perfect You're all fired solution. up. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Because you, you, it's like we, you, we still get the, the, the performance from the actor, us on the show, except, <laughs> except minus the, the part that would sort of ruin it. And exactly. Okay. And so we meet and you sort of see that all through this. And even that, that like, they're they're a little too they're like too handsy and close and touchy and stuff for um from the very start from this episode like it's pretty unprofessional unprof- unprof- yeah. even in ninety three context skull coming over and be like hey can you can you check my butt for <laughs> can, you, can you examine my <laughs> trap stuff yet yeah okay so uh, they meet he says we're we're gonna get started uh, and she sort of has like a there's like a character development for her through this whole thing she's sort of like um I don't know. Uh, confident, but not not sure what's going on. But she's still sort of like um, she she has this trust in sort of science and stuff. At, at, when she's still in his office, that sort of we're gonna see that go away. But um, no, so yeah, the, the, they get on a plane to Oregon, and there's a, a, another great character scene where the plane has really bad turbines. The the oxygen mask drop. The plane like lists from left to right. Everybody is freaking out, but Mulder's just like one hundred sprawled across the seats asleep. Yes. Yeah, 100% neurodivergent. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, if you did that scene like 10 years later, he would have been playing a Game Boy the entire time. If you did that scene 10 years later, the roles would have been reversed. Oh, well, anyways, they're, they're on the flight. Um, and this is where now, like, we're, she's, we're not in Kansas anymore. She starts, like, she's already, like, scared. And, they, and the way they, they film it, she's, like, and uh, I think he's sort of telling her things that are that are kind of scary and uh, like non scientific about this, and and, me, and she starts to I don't know have the horror horror uh, uh, main character woman thing going on where she starts to um, think about all the scary things and she's starting to get scared a little bit. Yeah, because isn't he talking about how like you know like three teens from like the local high school have died in like yes. the past year or something, whereas like now we would just call that fentanyl but you know <laughs> then it was kind of unusual and strange yeah the, the mysterious deaths of these young people uh they have mysterious marks on their on their lower back and there's no ex- explanation for this the fbi didn't even try to make one didn't even try to make an explanation uh they go to oregon because the late another victim has been found with with the marks and they're going to go <laughs> i guess join the local authorities in investigating the murders it's it's kind of it's impl- well not it's more than implied like Mulder says there's a cover up happening in the town that somebody in the town is covering up what's what's actually happening, so after they examine the the dead the dead body of the young woman they decide to exhume 
the body of one of the previous victims, which leads to the scene that uh, Hellbelly alluded to where they, I guess, they must not have been able to get union work. Like They must have had some kind of contractor problem because they dropped the casket and it, and like the lid pops open and Mulder thinks this is hilarious. <laughs> There's like a desiccated corpse of, a, of, a, of like a 22-year-old boy. And he's like, ah. Yeah, but like, it's not like he's like a hardened detective or something. No, like, he, no, he's just like completely weird. failing to share the same reaction that everyone else is having to. Yes, he he made he makes some bad joke. I, I can't remember. Yeah, um, they're in Oregon. We meet the locals, and this is the point where Oregon still—it's not Southern Gothic, but um, yeah. I don't know. It, it's, before- it's weird. Like it, right. it was kind of weird. I mean, you know, and this was another thing I kind of noticed is like. You know, you have your show starting off with a dead girl in the Pacific Northwest and Twin Peaks, which came out about two years before, also started out with a dead girl in the Pacific Northwest. So, like, it mm. kind of established a reputation by that point, just being this, like, spooky, yeah, weird, spooky place where stuff is going on under the surface. Because um, another thing to kind of mention from the cemetery scene is, like, the medical examiner kind of driving up and yelling at them for, you know, digging up this body. Yeah. On his turf. Yeah. Oregon has changed a lot, basically since you have, like, a wave of immigration (laughs) there from California after the L.A. riots. (laughs) And also, you have sort of the the tech thing blow up, uh, etc. But, like, you know, before before that, I I think Oregon was sort of, was uh, nationally known as basically you have, like, weird, like, people on, um, Witness protection. You had like the entire eastern part of the state was all Nazis. You you have all this like sort of logging people and like it was it yeah was, this like kind of transient worker population. Yes, it was like uh it was it was it was a scary it was a scary I say Southern mm-hmm. Gothic it's not Southern but like it, that it was just a, a, a we this is where you would have that UFOs and stuff. Don't, well, don't yeah and. and Famously, like, wasn't the first U.S. UFO sighting Mount Rainier in Washington? Like, right? You know, yes. Right? Yeah, uh, but don't don't oversell this. Like, there's a I was it struck stuck out to me. There was a great like second unit filming scene where they when they're going into the town in Oregon. It's like this is kind of a point I wanted to make. They now they like ever they love cramming nostalgia crap into everything. Like that show Stranger Things and a bunch of different shows that are like. Hey, remember when the, it was the 1980s and they had these people dressed up like 19? But it, it doesn't. It, it it I've never seen any of those that made me think, oh, that's nostalgic because it just doesn't look right. You have these people in HD and it's not. They don't quite. They don't quite get it. But you watch like this this I don't know, 10 second second unit film scene where they're driving through this Oregon town in their, in their 90s car and people are walking around in their 90s clothes filmed in the 90s. Aspect ratio, you yeah. know, the crappy film grain from the from the nineties. The only bout of nostalgia, I, I did get some nostalgia. I, I guess, like you know, the, it, uh, it, it hit me when uh, looking at one of the the phones, like the, one of those big <laughs> yes. goof, goofy house phones. That sort of hit me with nostalgia. That was that was pretty much it. I don't think you can create nostalgia. I don't think you can do that. I mean. <sighs> I, I guess maybe it's it's like getting deja vu for me. It's like ah, you know. Yeah, I just don't think you can do that. It's like it's something that's yeah. Re- nostalgia isn't like referential. It's it's not yes a blatant you know command to like remember the thing you're looking at. It's just like seeing 
something sort of in situ, like how it was actually just that way back then and feeling like, oh, you know, if I grew up in like a, you know, semi-rural area, you know, not too different from that. So yeah, no, there's definitely like a special feeling you get when you just see them like driving through that, you know, stretch of the wooded road and everything and yeah perhaps it's not an important point but it's like you can get nostalgia walking into your grandmother's house and like she's got a, a doily and a rotary phone for whatever reason like yeah. that can make all oh, that's that's extremely nostalgic you could give steven spielberg a billion dollars to recreate uh your, your grandma's house or whatever and then you get ready player one <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. It would be horrible. It's not. It's not only. It not only does it not work. It just feels bad. It's like, yeah. It's like uh, kind of like the psycho thing where you. It's not. It's not. It's not. It's not mother. It's uh, mother's body propped up in a window with the uh, with her eyes sewn on. I, I think that you're getting that. Like probably I don't get is. Um, I'm not saying like obviously it's different. I know the trees in the Pacific Northwest. They have that very particular look, but um. You know, it's kind of mountainous. It's a little bit like where you grew up, That's right? true. That's true. Good point. Yeah. I feel like Mark yeah. and I grew up in very similar kind of yeah, Same locales. mountain range, right? Yeah. It, yeah. Same mountain range, yeah. Yeah, the Appalachians, like, just, just the uh, the Yankee version and the Southern version. Yeah. Yeah, there's like no, you know, there's there's just no hills or mountains in my world. So, yeah. So, we, we see this body. The body pops open. Some other stuff happens. We go to the autopsy. That's what you want to talk about, though. They they all they get the body out and the body does not look human. D- doesn't it look clearly like an like she says it could be an orangutan? Doesn't it look? It looks exactly like a dead orangutan to me. I I really want to know where they were just getting these ape corpses that they've apparently just been filling caskets <laughs> with. Went to the Barnum and Bailey. It's like you know, <laughs> so I'm just walking through the Portland Zoo with a Glock and just you know. <laughs> doing some wet work. By the way, it's a great scene and like I didn't get her. So when I when she said that, I thought. Well, do they not have the budget? Like, and I didn't think of that. I just thought, like, is this, you know, um, she's in denial or something. This doesn't look anything like an orangutan yeah, at all. Yeah, she says it's a me. prank. Yeah. Uh, and, like, it has this, I mean, it's a great scene. The body looks great. They don't, like, nor- a lot of times you just get, like, if, uh, like a flash over the thing, especially they don't spend a ton of money on it. But, well, like, there's a reason for that, too. If, you, if it was a human body in 19, well, in any time, even now, you wouldn't want to linger on it. That would be gross. But because it's so clearly not a human, it's okay. You're mm. it's, like, I, I thought it was, I, I gaslit myself thinking, I didn't remember, like, was there a prank in this episode where somebody put a, a like a chimpanzee in that guy's coffin? But no, I mean, it, it's, I guess it's supposed to be mutated body. But to me, it was like, that's, that is definitely a monkey. Yeah. It, it, that's really interesting. I never thought thought of it actually supposed to be like a you know mutator before course i 100 percent read that as <laughs> monkey corpse monkeys have it maybe i was focused on the face and that's what she believed she she thought that this was a joke that someone put a monkey in in the uh the cough they they buried a monkey yeah it's 93 <laughs> so you can't just like run instant dna testing through a computer they have to do x-rays they take samples and they put them in a filing cabinet and you know they there's a procedure. They go home and watch 60 minutes. Right. It's She says, well, it's a monkey. He says, it's an alien. Uh, and he <laughs> says, well, we, we need take the blood samples, take the, the thing samples. Did they show, this is where they found the, the little metal device, yeah. right? Yeah, they found a little metal implant in the, in the monkey slash aliens, in, in alien's head. And that's a very key plot point, like throughout the television show, this little metal implant. I, I wonder like if that, 
I'm sure it was probably a thing in urban legends about alien abductions, but I don't think that normal human beings had ever had thought of the concept of like aliens taking you and putting a metal implant in your head until this television show. It may it mainstreamed a lot of the weird UFO crap that people wrote in in little books in like the 60s and 70s. We had playground legends about um, bugs. You know what I mean? And, and like, I don't think it was ever explained to me what a bug looked like. I mean, talking about like a listening device. Oh, like like the FBI was bugging your phone. Right, and and uh, what they showed sort of reminded me of that of like that kind of thing. I don't know, maybe maybe it's just growing up in the in the uh, what do you call it the uh, Cold War or whatever, yeah. where people are thinking yeah. about stuff like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, so they they've examined the monkey inside. We need to we need to go talk to the two survivors of whatever unexplained thing happened, and they're both in a mental institution. One of them has been in a catatonic state for four years and the other is a girl in a wheelchair who refuses to leave his side and when they get there the girl has a crazy episode uh Mulder makes another inappropriate joke about uh, <laughs> about, about this extremely sad situation that does not land whatsoever uh but it's not acknowledged in the rest of the show uh the girl has the same marks on her body and after they leave the the saint insane asylum they go off into the woods to investigate further, and they are escorted out at gunpoint by the local sheriff, like a local sheriff's deputy. Well, she also has the nosebleed. Don't forget that, because that was also kind of like a big part of like the alien abduction mythos. that also sort of got popularized, I think. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did a, a nosebleed scene, and like she reaches up to touch her nose before it, like she's Ric Flair in a, in a WWE yeah. match. Like, like <laughs> oh, it's a blood pellet. Oh. oh. Uh, by the way, you know how they did that in wrestling? Well, they used to like literally cut themselves yeah. with razor blades. Yeah. yeah, there's some big vein on your head, and you just sort of touch it, and supposedly it just opens up. Yeah, that was the thing, right? Bleeders. There were guys who were really good at that. That was yeah. Like a special they they called it bleeding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it it, it, it works. I mean, blood just sort of. Uh, there's some sort of um, uh, thing in the back of our head that things get way more serious once once the color starts. I'm sorry. Uh, think like there's something like in the the human primitive brain sense that's just sort of like when you see when you see somebody bleeding like you you get you have you have uh lizard brain reactions to it. It's not mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, gotcha. Not intellectual. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, you get the feeling like I, I, it, it's masterfully done. Where uh, you know, the, you're you're pointing they're pointing the camera at at Scully and the it's like she's thinking and she's sort of developing thoughts and you know what i mean i don't think we get that with Mulder much to the series but there's i mean you're watching our process and you know i have like a very galaxy brain note here that like she's sort of like the audience proxy in all this like she's the one kind of watching this and trying to figure out like you know is this actual you know paranormal phenomenon are we watching some elaborate you know hoax slash cover up of something that's you know ultimately grounded in reality yeah this can't be what he's saying can't be happening so what is actually happening but that's a great point about the you you need this if you're making a science fiction show horror horror show fantasy show anything anything that that's that's out there you need an everyman character a stand-in for the audience to like not only like literally do exposition to give you information that you don't have but Someone who reacts like a normal person and not 
like bizarre uh, UFO hunter coomer. Right. Fox and Baldwin. also, I mean, we're in the pilot. We're pitching this series. So, and we're, there's really like two ways it could have gone. It could have like really leaned into the weirdness, like, yes, the paranormal is real and we're going to investigate it. Or it could have just been entirely about like debunking these, you know, ultimately strange things. So it's, yeah, it's making, it's making a decision here. And, you know, the, what Bog is saying of kind of like watching Scully puzzle through it is absolutely intentional for like what an audience must have been like watching this for the very first time. Yeah, that's perfect. Cause uh, you know, like they said, Mulder is, is intuitive. So in other words, he doesn't think he just sort of knows. Uh, and she, she thinks, and she's ultimately fair through the series. There's a couple of times where she's like, she's, she's way too skeptical, but um, you know, <laughs> But uh, okay, so uh, this is the point where she she's back at back at the hotel room and she's sort of studying the samples and she's thinking it through and she's uh, etc. Well, yeah, yeah, okay, well, okay, yeah. So th- everything you've seen t- to now, oh, and include- by the way, I- by the way, the hotel room is the first first time we get to meet one of uh, one of Spooky Mulder's alter egos, the uh, uh, hood rat Mulder. <laughs> I was just going to bring that up. I was, I was going to say another autistic Mulder moment of, hey, do you want to join me for a run through the rainy woods at, you know, 12 o'clock at night? Yeah, hello, person I just met. Would you like to accompany hello, me? Hello, unescorted woman. Would you like to and he, disappear in his casual clothes? His casual clothes, he dresses like, like a hip-hop rapper or something. <laughs> he dresses like, yeah, like a millennial. That's what something I said during the Beyond the Sea one. Like, Mulder is the first, I know he's not age-wise, he's, like a, he's a millennial. He just, <laughs> everything about him, the way he lives, the way he dresses, the way he acts, he's a millennial. Yeah, but you see, he's, he had he had the fitted, I think it was a fitted cap pulled around, right? Yeah. Fitted caps weren't, like, you had to go to a special store to get fitted back then. <laughs> Mulder sitting uh, outside for sneakers at three in the morning. <laughs> sneakers. Yeah. This is the perfect. And we also get the uh, like the first thing, and I'm not going to try to imitate it where um, she where she does the high pitch, like you know, God damn it, Mulder, uh, uh, you're, you're yes. aliens aren't real. But and it, she gets that weird. I'm not going to try to imitate it, where she sounds like she's chewing the inside of her mouth, and it, it's this is like. This is like one of the uh, their their bits or whatever. The you know every episode is going to have the goddamn it, Mulder. You're 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 jumping to conclusions. Yes, that's great. I wanted to, I wanted to say that like this is this is right here. You're hitting on the 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 introduction of the formula of the show. And every show has does have a formula, but this is especially true of shows back then. Like if you're watching Gilligan's Island, you know what's going to happen. The professor is going to make uh, I don't know a. a, a GPS out of coconuts, and then Gilligan's going to break it, and they're going to be stuck on an island. The Harlem Globetrotters are going to show up, but their boat's going to leave before they get like, You know, when the next show begins, they're still going to be on that damn island by themselves. Nothing can change. Yeah, they, they will not have arrested Bigfoot at the end of any given week of, of the X-Files. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the fluke man will still be large when, when, the, when the show ends. It's like, this is... We're you're in the you're seeing the formula. This is like probably the advertisement to the to the network when you when you're doing a pot. This is what the mm-hmm. show's about. And she, uh, you know, Mulder's running off into the into the woods, even though there's like a, there's alien abductions happening without a care in the world. And she's back in the in the in the in, the, in her hotel room, going over her laptop computer and the evidence and all this stuff. 
And then this is when, (laughs) I guess some people would call this fan service today, right? She discovers that there's something on her lower back. She feels something back there. She can't quite see it. Uh, This is the first time that, (laughs) this is the first episode too, by the way. Jillian Anderson strips down to her her underpants. uh, Well, first it looks like we're going to get a shower scene. A TV show. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're in prime time friendly side butt, and yes. we and uh, you get to see. Uh, I mean, well, they show her ass in underwear, and she's wearing a bra. She's an extreme close up on like the her, like the curves of her body for for plot purposes because she thinks she sees a alien marks because not important but when they were driving through the the car stopped and they had a weird experience so she's worried that maybe she was secretly abducted by aliens herself and she goes to have Mulder examine examine her ass not her ass but like her lower back while she's in her underpants which is lights a, are off the rain is going yeah, candlelight yeah, the power's he's completely unfazed by it too like he's perfect artist yeah <laughs> I, I this actually this moment was actually kind of shocking me because like I watched the series sporadically like when it was on I never like really kind of sat through the whole thing I never saw the pilot and so like this kind of struck me as so like out of character for the tone of the show but you know I guess in a pilot when you're really just trying to make sure that the series sticks <laughs> check it out <laughs> yeah that's a that's a great point I mean there's a lot of respect for her later on but I mean this this scene is like she's a piece of meat i mean yeah, she is i want i want to call back to the you know first episode you guys did where like you're talking about how like they're they're always like you know they're not afraid to like show her on camera but it's in this like very kind of respectful like this woman's beautiful way she's never like a piece of meat like you just said yeah no that's that's perfect i mean we, uh, through the whole series like there's a couple things that happen way too much uh one of them is people giving people orders with a gun pointed at them <laughs> This is uh and the other one is extreme close ups on Julian Anderson. If they don't know what to do Angelic with the camera. Form. Yeah, if they don't know what to do with the camera at any given time, they just park it on her face, which works. But like you said, that's her face, which this is uh this ain't her face. This is her, her TNA. And she's like, hold me, Mulder, and all this yeah, kind of yeah. stuff. Well, it, 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 it turns out they were mosquito bites, and uh, it's funny, you know, whatever. But uh, there's also that they, they hug afterwards, which is pretty weird for your co-worker that you just met. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. It was the 90s. But he has no sort of, like, sexual reaction. He's just sort of, like, giggling That's, and stuff. He has a little bit of one when he first, when she first takes off her robe. He's got this look like, hey. But, but he, he you get, like I said, it's part of the formula where it's like, there's always a little bit of sexual tension in, in, between the two characters. But, but, never- but he's like a he's like a teenage boy, kind of like almost like it's all plus like you yeah. know the, we were talking about before where we're like the um the goddamn it Mulder like before the goddamn it Mulder thing happens in every episode when he's describing the what he thinks happened he gets into that like another thing like sort of juvenile sort of autistic thing where it's like, and, 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 and you know and and then the, the, the monster came and did the, you know what I mean yeah. like. It, he can be cool and collected, but when he gets ex- he gets excited about the the investigating, 
He has this very juvenile thing. Well, there's a reason for that, and this happens right after what we're talking about. He they they're chilling out in their hotel room by candlelight, and he confides into her that the whole reason he got into all this stuff was because when he was a teenager or child or whatever, he witnessed his sister's abduction, and that's why he's obsessed with UFOs. So it's like you do kind of, and, and this happens throughout the show. You get the impression that he has arrested development, like he is in some way a teenage boy, mentally. Like he never really, you know, people yeah. who have like, you would call it now PTSD. If something traumatic happens, a lot of times that can freeze your development and you don't really ever grow past it. Yes. When, it, when, it, when it, you hear women with a little girl voice, they say that's yeah. like the love line voice. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, but the, you know, it's, it's not presented like, well, I witnessed this. You know, he says like, uh, I didn't know what happened. It was really scary. And then I've been doing this like experimental regression uh, therapy. Yeah, so it still sounds like, uh, you know, it, it could be total it's bullshit. new age bullshit, yeah. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, this is a very dark, well, very well shot. The lighting was really good. Yeah. And uh, now, like, I, I want to say when we got to the, the meet to meet him, uh, from, like, the point we meet him on, now we're in, like, the X, like, it looks like the X-Files. It's generally dark. Yeah, you need, you need to do that for a lot of reasons. For one thing, the show took place in mostly in the 90s when special effects were pretty basic especially on tv shows they just didn't have you didn't have the money or the or the ability to put good special effects on tv shows like if your show is about monsters you want nice soft dark lighting so they look better like this is the secret of jurassic park right jurassic park's a, a, a great movie for for like it was coming out in what 1990, they had amazing special effects. Like they were technically amazing. They had good they had good computer graphics. It was all good. But they also like I don't say cheated, but they just everything happened in the dark and rain in, in Jurassic yeah. Park. And like that is like uh, that's a huge a huge buff to to what you're trying to do here. You're trying to you're trying to make a mood and you're trying to make things that look realistically scary. And and, and that's and that's the easy way to do it. You can have everything happen in the middle of the woods. It's dark and it's raining. What what do they call this? Like so, this is where you know the, the Chris Carr said. There's a this director who did this very first episode. He established this look, and they kept it. They modified it a little bit. But what what do you call that? Like the look of the show, the the way like. I mean, now people would say would say gritty, but that's not. I don't like gritty because gritty implies like. Are you talking about like like this like. You know, for lack of a better term, like the style guide of the show, like you know, if yeah. we're shooting this scene, this is kind of what gloomy kind yeah. of yeah yeah right. I don't right. know like, what the technical term is. I'm not yeah, I'm not that yeah. Like if like you know, if you're an action movie in the 2000s, you lay make everything blue and you know that you know that, that, that yeah. whatever. Yeah. That is. What happens next is a continuation of what is like the formula. But here's where like they man, they do a really good job here because like, this is like the cover up portion of the episode, and then man, they move it along with such an economy. I I really I, I I stopped and and timed it. So within a sequence that goes a little bit over a minute, uh, the wheelchair bound witness sprints across the highway inexplicably and gets gets hit by a semi truck. The exhumed body of the monkey slash alien. We're not report and all the reports and all the evidence, X rays, I guess DNA evidence, all was destroyed. All was stolen or destroyed from the lab. And then Mulder and Scully go back to their motel room to find that they were burnt to the ground. There's nothing left. Every scrap of evidence that they had, her laptop, computer, all the files, all the crap, it's gone. And then, like, in one minute, there's a cover-up that's so successful, they're pretty much back to square one in their investigation. What a coincidence. (laughs) 
this this is sort of through the whole series and like you know sometimes more than others it, basically it feels like um you know the big illuminati or whatever is kind of always watching them and always keeping them um you know every film role that he ever takes in the whole series um gets destroyed somehow uh yeah, yeah. It, it goes on further another witness has a dubstep marks gets she comes forward and she has a nosebleed too like hellbilly elegy mentioned but this one was so it was really the way they did it was really good and chris carter even talked about it in his little uh extras thing where they they ran a tube down her head that disguised it as like a vein in her head and it went behind her nose and they put her just slightly profile so you couldn't see the end of the tube and just while she's not looking at the camera but close to looking at the camera just blood starts gushing out of her nose it was like a I guess today that wouldn't be super impressive, but you didn't see that too much in in '90s television shows. It was really right. cool. it was a cool especially scene. on a pilot where you're really shooting on like a sh- yeah. shoestring budget. She gets she gets chased out and by her father and the sheriff's deputy, and they go back to the cemetery and all the graves of the other other victims who died have are now empty. So like within this, this span of a few minutes. The cover-up is pretty much enti- pretty much completed. Mulder tells her at the graveyard that the kid in the in the coma did it. Yeah, he, he says that he's involved, and that's one of the plot. Maybe you guys picked up on something that I didn't. That's like a plot. Wow, what basis did he have for that? Was it just a Mulder hunch? Like, because it didn't really make sense in the in in the in the, uh, the like the the world of the story. I didn't get where, where he came to that conclusion. I didn't get that either. Uh, only thing we got on that was, uh, so the people that took the girl away was, um, medical was, examiner and the sheriff's deputy. We know all these people that are all, have been adopted. You know, they, they all uh, went to the same high school, uh, same graduated, same class, whatever. That's all we know. Yeah. It, it seems ridiculous. Gully has this thing where she sort of has this sort of manic reaction to, to him explaining something that doesn't make sense. Which, by the way, before we go there, back to the the scene earlier with the first time they went to the woods, uh, when the guy pulled the gun on them, Mulder's reaction was like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, her reaction was like, she looked like she was ready to shoot him. Yeah, she she held her gun on him for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mulder's crazy, totally unsupported hunch is is right, and they find and they find out because Scully examines the catatonic guy's feet, and they're covered in the, so, the exact kind of soil that was in the woods. You know, everybody in the everybody in the hospital insists it would be impossible for this person to get out of bed and leave without them knowing. But all the rest of their evidence is gone. So, as Mulder points out to Scully, like she wants to say, "Well, I'm going to just fill out a report right now because we." we found the soil on his feet we know he was there and Mulder was she's, like she's bought it 100 well no I mean, she's good at her job she's like i'm going to report what happened and he goes you understand you have nothing no other evidence and you're going to say that the coma boy got up and and like ran around and killed people and you have to you have to give that report to j edgar hoover yourself with your name attached to it yeah he, he kind of flips on her because like here she actually has you know some physical evidence but it's not conclusive it's like a welcome welcome to being welcome to my life yeah no that's exactly <laughs> what it is yeah he, he tells her like like she's, yes she's I, living the molder experience yeah he's like okay you 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 believe all this right now you're ready to make this report okay 
um, what's going to happen when you go make this report? What do you really have? Because they're going to, this, this sounds really, and he, well, the way he just, he, he lays out what she has and it does sound really stupid when, when he, he lays it out. <laughs> they have no leads. They just, let's go back to the well, woods. Well, she says, uh, he says, well, you, you lost the, the, the sample of the dirt. So we need to get, uh, she says, well, I'll just go get another we'll sample. We'll get more of the dirt. sample of the dirt and we'll have the two samples we can put together. So they go back in the woods because that's the only lead they have left. And here's where you get like the man. This is like the mm, classic X Files, yes. not quite ending, but like the crescendo of the episode, right? There's there are bright lights and they're running towards them, and Scully gets knocked over the head and falls down. But Mulder, there's that terrible like generator noise of some like yeah. machinery, yeah. <laughs> what was the uh, what was that that stupid electrical instrument that you would uh that like the Doctor Who theme was made out of? Oh, you know, the theremin. Yeah, it's not quite theremin, but it's 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 it reminds you of that, right? It's like the, you clearly you just associate the sound with space aliens. Yeah. And Scully's out of the, she's knocked out. She she can't go. But Mulder gets up and he sees the entire thing. He sees the scene that is an alien abduction. The coma boy is. Just going buck wild, running, carrying the other victim. They run into this clearing, and then there's a scene that, out. It was so it was so well shot. They have like this whirlwind of leaves flying around them, while this strange light comes down from above them and covers everything. And like if you film this today, like like a twelve year old kid with like Adobe After Effects could do it. It would be so easy. You just say, okay, I want to generate the swirling leaf pattern three, right? Like this is 1993. Imagine like what a pain in the ass it was to create digital leaves that flew around people in a circle, and then but, this weird lighting that washed everything out. You there was no there was no Adobe there was no Adobe plugin to do that. They had to do that stuff the hard way. But I mean, you're you're giving too much credit to modern special effects. I don't think. Uh, I mean, first the special effect looks really good. Yeah. Uh, I saw him say that base that there was um there were real leaves, there were real leaves, and they were digital leaves. Yeah. I don't I don't know I don't know how they did the real leaves. I mean, you you can create a dust devil if you if you with with like big fan or something. Yeah, but not the 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 way that it's so tight, like it's so focused. And and there's people standing standing. in the middle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I, it I just love looks stuff fantastic. Like that. Yeah. So I, I think the the two big special effects this episode, you have the nosebleed and and the uh, and the leaves scene, right? And she, yeah. And by the way, she does get up and she and uh, she just sees lights. That's it. Yeah. She, she she gets there after everything has happened, so she sees weird lights. Mulder sees exactly. He sees the you know he sees Bigfoot like like he always does, and she just never quite can, can quite get there in, in, in time <laughs> to see it. And uh, you know, there's a happy ending. The the aliens return the boy, and you know nobody. Nobody else has to no die. No additional dies. <laughs> There's no more. Yeah, we we we've we've got narrowed it down like three people brutally murdered. That's it. It's it's a W for the X Files. <laughs> right. Uh, we we go to the interrogation scene, which uh, they later said he was hypnotized. I didn't really pick that up during the inter. So uh, he gets interrogated FBI headquarters. It looks like. Um, and he says basically that it's there were aliens that were abducting these people to uh, do genetic tests on them, and then like they were going to can't they were aliens are basically canceling the tests, and they were having <laughs> having this having this boy go uh, kill all the all the the test subjects, right? It's like yeah, like they were like they were venture capitalists, and they're going to pull their, their yeah, funding <laughs> layoffs. 
Yeah, the, the, the coma the coma boy IPO didn't go as well yeah. as we hoped. <laughs> the rest of the teenagers are not going forward. I know I I don't I'm guessing this leads into the later trope of the series, yeah. which is that like the main goal of all these different forces, uh alien or alien and not are they're trying to create an alien human hybrid. And I'm, I'm guessing that was part of that. It doesn't really matter, but I just want to like ask uh, like hellbilly elegy. Is this, is this something that existed before? I know it's a trope now. Yeah, no, this was something that was kind of like in a lot of the UFO literature that kind of, you know, preceded and inspired all of this. Like the whole idea that like, you know, there was some sort of experimenting and specifically like the cross pollination of human and yes. alien genetic material was absolutely an established thing by this point. So I, I you know, I, I probably because of the X Files, I think I I got into like reading about these UFO stuff when I was a, when I was a young like teenager, I guess. Same. Yeah, so you, you saw books. There's this there's this really common theme throughout abduction stories. It's always weirdly sexual. Sometimes it's explicitly sexual, like people stuck stuff on me and did these things to me. The aliens did this and that, and there, there's these worries that they're trying to implant you with a with alien seed or trying to make alien. Like there's this really sexualized undercurrent to abduction stories. Like I think that's. I mean, I don't. We don't have to explain why, right? Like that's. There's probably a reason for that. Yeah. Right? Well, the the theory for like uh, specifically abduction stories is that this is a the brain goes into a dissociated state to protect someone yes. from a sexual assault, so that they they don't really experience because it would be too traumatic. So instead, it's like this alien thing, which um, I believe a human mind is capable of. Or in the case of like, if you're talking about the in-universe story of Agent Mulder, like, he witnesses his sister being abducted, and he has PTSD from this, and it, it's weird, foggy. He has to get a, a, a hypnotist to do hypnotic regression therapy, which, by the way, now... I don't, I don't know if anyone ever thought that this, like, this is really a, a good thing to do, that you get accurate information. The The consensus now is that you can... You can basically make people invent new memories this way and right you know, i mean that was like the whole purpose. that was the whole thing behind like the satanic panic was like you well, know the, that's yeah that's that's where like I, when i hear myself say that i'm like well i don't know I, I don't know if i buy the story that there was a satanic panic anymore like the, those, sto <laughs> those stories seem more plausible to me now than they did like 10 <laughs> or 15 years ago but yeah the idea that you could because like, like there are, have been cases of people who've gone through you know, regression, hypnotic regression therapy that had were not in, involved in like government conspiracy, just like something that maybe happened to you when you were young, right? Or and even they, just like a part of like normal therapy. People have tried it and stuff like that. And, yeah, and, and so, uh, but anyway, it's kind of a dark direction to take things. Yeah, the FBI when agents would do completely dismiss Agent Scully's testimony because she doesn't have any evidence, and they they're basically telling her we're going to just. Throw this shut shut down. Yeah. Yeah, but she has the ace in the hole. She gets out of her pocket a little a little vial, and it has the metal implant that she found in the Monkey Man body. And she says, "I had this tested in the FBI lab, and they cannot determine what kind of metal it's made out of." And they hand and she hands it over to them. And this is you can tell by the way they're looking at her, and she's looking at them that she realizes, "Oh shit, the the crazy guy's not crazy. They really are trying to cover this stuff up." 
Right. Like they don't want this evidence. They're not happy that I have this evidence. You, if 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 like we're doing the job that we're supposed to do, and I say, uh, "Hell, Billy Elgie, I have this implant from a space alien." You should be like, "Hell yeah, man! We're gonna break this uh, wide open. Yeah, it's awesome. amazing." But they're they're acting like she just you know brought them a tube full of dookie. She's not. Yeah. Hap- they're not happy about it. It goes back to the original thing that like she's way better at her job than they wanted her to be. She her job was to yes. go in and be a hatchet man for the FBI. It's tell just shut him down, make him shut up, and this way we can take the the senator or whatever and say, hey, we investigated it with a medical doctor, and she said it was bullshit. Please stop bothering us. We and by the way, increase our funding. And uh, she would by the way she if she hadn't have done that, she would have done her job perfectly, even though yeah, unwittingly. No. Mission accomplished. Yeah. yeah be- because she she she's not going to put things in a report that are speculative at least at this point and um and uh yeah so so the report would have been like this guy's crazy nothing happened uh three three kids three kids died um <laughs> then then we have the scene so this is the, the smoking man's there the whole time it was impressive I remember so I didn't I watched the um I didn't watch the pilot first and so when I saw the pilot I was impressed that they had the smoking man was there from the beginning. Yeah, that that was a very strong and gutsy move to you know put that like literally like in the first shot of the series. Yes, and um, he takes the sample back and he's got like a it was like a Funko Pop collection of, of <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he he quite literally has the Raiders of the Lost yes. Ark room. Yeah. The Raiders of the Lost Ark warehouse exactly what I what I thought about when I saw that. They, he takes their he takes their paperwork and their monkey man sample and he takes it in his big ass warehouse like looks exactly like the Raiders of the Lost Ark ending and he puts the he, he puts that he puts it in there he walks out he closes the door and this is this is a great shot this is why people still like and talk about the X Files because when he closes the door you see like the 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 nameplate or whatever and this is like here this is like the the Pentagon's you know. F- uh, fire escape directions right yeah it's like, you're in the this is in the pentagon this guy works for the department of defense or something even bigger than that and he's stashing away all this evidence inside literally the pentagon this yeah. is one of the reasons why when we were talking about beyond the sea i said like the military is kind of they're not explicitly the bad guys but like they're more the bad guys than the fbi and this really fits with the air like people not trusting the fbi in 93 I, I literally have this noted down. Like you, you could not have picked a better time to air this pilot because, like, you're yeah months after Ruby, Ruby Ridge, Ridge and Waco, and months before, months before. I think it was a months before Waco or, uh, or this aired after Waco. I have written down, yeah. but it, it, yeah. it, it all aired. The first season airs around the time of Waco and the Oklahoma City bombing. Yeah, so like you, you know if you. You know, if you're looking for like your real world tie-in for your government skepticism alien hour, like you could not have picked like a better time to air this. It would be going too far to say this introduced the concept of the deep state to like to to regular people. Oh no, people. definitely not. No, no, I, no. Yeah, absolutely not. I mean, and that that's his the way they picture him. I mean, the, the when you look at the way like the deep state, like the origins of it and stuff in the United States, it's um. The way that they used to picture it is that basically there was these people called the wasps. They were the Mayflower people. And the United States government was just sort of like the family business. And that like, you know, if you were related to so-and-so, if you were, you know, the Rockefeller nephew, then you could like, you know, just walk onto the FBI campus and tell people what to do and shit. And, you know, all your cousins are senators 
Every, everyone's gone to West Point, et cetera. And these people aren't necessarily the richest people in the world, but the U.S. government itself is just sort of like uh, like the mafia for the wasps. Yeah, see, this guy, he gets to 23andMe, he gets point. 0.4%, and now he's like, I'm in the shadow, and the Presbyterians are keeping me down. I, this kind of slander has <laughs> no, no. gone on too long. All right, but no, this, this, was, this was the perception. This is the... Um, right, uh, the Good yeah. Shepherd, yeah, the Good Shepherd thing. Yeah, yeah. and I mean, and the, the FBI... Okay, the, the FBI was created as a... This is, this is inflammatory and going too far, but it's fun to say. The death squad to kill off people like Bonnie and Clyde and Machine Gun Kelly, right? We, we, we need you, please. Go stop these people. We cannot we cannot do anything with them. They're going across state lines. They're, they're wreaking havoc. J. Edgar Hoover, you can have basically unlimited power. Just get rid of these people. And he did it. He yeah. did that. And he got a lot of a lot of cachet from that. He was able to install himself as the, the head of the secret police of the United States until he died in office and his files were burnt. There was a great, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but H.R. Uh, Haldeman, who worked for Richard Nixon, kept the diary of, of Nixon's presidency and like when <laughs> Hoover died during his presidency like everybody's just like thank god this guy's dead like now now maybe we'll have some like we won't be blackmailed because this guy had you know, he, had, he had blackmail material on everybody in the country so like the FBI never had a spotless record however if you were making a television show and they did by the way like the stuff like the FBI story television show the FBI were like they were good guys and this was more plausible in that time period. By the time the 90s roll around, for one thing, you had the very well-documented FBI investigation of uh, civil rights leaders, which uh, liberals took a lot of umbrage to, including Martin Luther King. Uh, they already got a bad rap for that, but they were also, for reasons we just said, not particularly liked by, the, by people on the right either. Right. This is like, it's weird, you know, like, uh, rage against the machine or, or like, Far left people, you know, this is they. This is people talk about this a lot. They're like, you know, down with the WTO. Like, uh, it, it, far left people and far right people would have both agreed that, um, in in something like a perception of the FBI that that is on this show. There, there's the. I think there's a progression in in time from like the FBI story that these are the John Wayne type heroes of law enforcement to what to the X Files we're talking about now, which is like, well, they're kind of. They're doing cover-ups. They're kind of bad, but they're all not all bad. I think as the show goes on, the FBI becomes more evil, for lack of a better term. 100%. But this is the funny thing. I don't know if you. I don't. I don't watch much new stuff at all. But there was like one thing that I did watch that was kind of about the subject. The the show Mind Hunter, Mind Hunters, right? Did you got you guys heard of this, yes. right? Yes, I've seen it. Yeah, no. it, it's a, it's a good show, and it's about. FBI profilers, the first FBI profilers, really, who who talk, who like went around and talked to serial killers, and and you know they're developing profiles at the time in like the late seventies, early eighties, where this didn't really exist. They're doing a new thing, and uh, they're it's rehabilitating the image of the FBI, and that's not a coincidence that this happened. You know, I, I think the show started in 2015, 16, whatever, around the time of you know, peace be upon him the King of America's election, the FBI suddenly started getting rehabilitated by people who had hated the FBI since the 70s, 60s and 70s. Suddenly, like, they are now actually, they're they're going around finding people who, who hurt women and stuff. And now I think if you ask, well, no, you don't have to think. You can look at polls. The, the opinion of the FBI is pretty much 
the mirror mirror inverse that it would have been in uh, 1955-1960. You don't even have to pull. Dick Wolf has three different FBI series out on TV right now, so... (laughs) Yeah, like like you said, so... Prohibition starts in January 1920, and the FBI starts in 24. Basically, Prohibition created a massive amount of... um, organized crime in the United States, the FBI, I think most of the FBI people like is when it is kind of, it's something in between like a, like a, uh, uh, like a futuristic laboratory for, 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 uh, normal police. Right. So like normal, so the FBI will do tests on like handgun on guns and stuff and say, well, this is what cops should carry. Also, they will develop, you know, uh, uh, forensic techniques and stuff like that where they're just this is just normal police work right where they're they're, i mean they're they're like a they're like a helping normal police lab stuff then but see also this normal police stuff you is by the time of what the 60s and stuff um you know you could just look at someone like obviously jfk is a big deal but jfk is sort of i mean regardless of what happened there are members of organized crime are very powerful in the 60s and so organized crime has a, a lot of power i mean they are funding candidates etc so organized so in other words there's no, normal crime and politics are already sort of enwrapped in the 60s uh and then you know but uh, and it, uh, basically when politics mixes with the fbi this is when it's sort of dangerous and scary and um not good well and hoover did that Probably from the idea from the very beginning, and uh, this is one of the iron law of the institution things. Where it's like after the end of the end of not only prohibition but the end of the I don't know. There, there probably is a word for this, but like these these roving these roving outlaws who would go from from state to state. It was kind of novel because transportation really wasn't that possible before, and hmm. police like okay if, if if you if we if it's nineteen. Uh, Thirty-one, and we go rob a bank in New Jersey uh, with with uh, with our buddy Hellbilly, and then we just hop across state lines and we go down, and we, you know, we go down into Pennsylvania. We're probably going to get away with it because right. the the police the police have no forensics. They don't even have radio in their radios in their cars most of the time. We'll just we'll just go there and do this, and they would do you know rob banks and circuits all around the the Midwest and. You know, this was not a thing before, and you needed somebody to deal with this. But once that problem was over, and it was pretty much over by the middle of the 30s, there was not necessarily a need to continue with the FBI. And Hoover went into, like, beast mode then, where he's getting, you know, political blackmail material and just politicking very hard. Like, hey, now you need me to stop the the fascists and the communists, whatever. He stayed in. He he he's one of those figures that we talk about who died in office because he made himself. He dug his. He burrowed his way into the into the government and never let go. I'm sure that some something like the FBI would exist no matter what. But it's extremely broad interests. Like they have an intelligence service now. Basically, they they are functionally as the secret police of the United States. That's not necessary and didn't have to be. It survived the Church Committee when the CIA took a big hit. I think that's a consideration that these things didn't happen necessarily organically. A lot of it came about because there was one guy who was super stoked to, to become, you know, the, the head of the KGB in the United States. So I'm going to actually, you, you kind of like put something in my head just there of the other thing you have, like the FBI 
involved in a lot. They kind of made them, you know, popular. Um, and sort of what you're talking about with um, Mind Hunters is serial killers. And do you remember how, like, kind of like right before this was airing in the '90s, you also had a lot of like those like horror thrillers, like you know, Sounds of Lamb, Seven. Like all of those were mm-hmm. also kind of all coming out around the same time so i don't know it feels like we're in some sort of like 20 year cycle of the fbi being cool or not cool well there's there's a theory about this and uh i've talked i talked about previously when the these mass shooters like these were part of a pot like yeah there were memes they were meme crimes when when the idea of the serial killer became popularized there were a lot more serial killings. Like when, when they started, when the idea of a, of a profiler became public knowledge, right? Guys, uh, like more people Suddenly were. Suddenly we found more serial killers. This is a way to, yeah, A, it's, it's a way to say we're, this is an important job. You need to keep paying us money. But also it's like, this is a way I can, I can become famous. Bonnie and Clyde were, were part, were not just in it to make money. They wanted to be famous. Like they were celebrity hunters. So like this being a, a, a State hopping outlaw in the thirties is a way to become famous. Being a serial killer was a way to become was a way to become famous in the seventies. Political assassinations were a way to become famous in the sixties. Uh, you know, obviously school shootings for the nineties, and now just mass shootings in general in in, in our time. These are all these all things were motivated. Like they were kind of part of the same process. Like yeah. what you said about the FBI being cool or not cool. Yeah, whatever the new meme crime is, the FBI is is on the cutting edge of make sure they're going to protect you from it. Like now they're going to protect you from uh, the legions of the secret KKK that are hiding behind every, 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 you know, telephone pole in your neighborhood. Thank God. By the way. <laughs> uh, so, you know, um, obvious, I have this certain interest in this, uh, you know, the, the Tammany hall and, and, and I hadn't that heard that really, I, really total news to me. I, I'm, yes. I'm just hearing this for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So uh, this is, you know, before I, I, I sort of said that, like, you know, there's this the good FBI is helping in in um, organized crime because nobody likes crime. Right. So people don't like being mugged and and, and, and uh, all this kind of stuff. Some and, people uh, it's, Twitter, just, it's your stuff, bro. Some people on Twitter apparently apparently do like it. But, yeah, most normal yeah. people don't. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, there's this is there's this there's this thing to this. You know, so the F- the FBI is was was basically like the organized crime fighting squad. However, I mean, there's there's a. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just imagining somebody in a dark alley and like he's just being shanked by a homeless guy. He's like laughing. This is such a big Apple experience. I can't believe it. <laughs> but you know, we, we have the, there's a word nuance of American history. So like. Um, you know the five families in New York, the the mafia, uh, who, who not only are have their own history, but they also sort of like created uh, a models for how organized crime works and all this kind of stuff. Well, they were they they you know they came from originally like the gangs of New York stuff, like the uh, the Five Points gang and stuff. That got started because um, basically Tammany Hall and stuff would pay people would pay people to uh, uh, basically be muscles and protect the strike lines I don't know what you call that um, picket lines you, yeah right to protect that you would pay you pay these thugs to protect the picket lines and 
obviously there is a mass. And so like from the, from day one, you already have Tammany hall, which is also a massive innovator in in American politics. I mean, you can still, you can see this Joe Biden has kind of, I mean, I'm not saying exactly Tammany hall, but that kind of background and it sort of created a lot of ways that put so politics and organized crime have been like wrapped up together from day one. From like the very first day that like the the, the first time uh, a guy from Tammany Hall hands a, hands of cash money to some thugs and organized crime is created, it's always had politics involved. Yeah, I want to switch gears and ask Hillbilly Elegy something because I know he knows things about this. I was looking when we before we were going to record the show. I wanted to look up the ratings that the pilot episode of the X Files got because it wasn't like there wasn't a lot of hype behind the show. No, it, it was. It was a weird, like, like I said, so, okay, so Crash Course in television ratings, like, do you guys know what it means when, like, they say, oh, this show got, like, a 10.8 on Thursday? Do you guys know, like, what that actually refers to measurement-wise? Absolutely not. Cool. Um, So that number is basically just a percentage of, like, the available television viewers at that time. The share. Yeah. So, like, you know, if a 10.8 would mean, like, of all the people that could hypothetically be watching TV at this time, 10.8% of them were watching this show. So I, you know, looked up into this because, again, I'm on the business side of television broadcasting. Um, the So historically, um, at the time this is airing, the number for, like, a top show then like Seinfeld at that point was like a 20. So that means of all the, you know, TVs that were, you know, opted into like the Nielsen service, 20% of them would be watching Seinfeld on Thursday night. X-Files for its first season, for its pilot and pretty much most of its first season was at like a seven, which is absolutely abysmal at that time period. (laughs) Like that, like every other show, like near in the rings at that time, got axed. Like after one season, like the the fact that this survived is very strange. But I will I will say if you compared it now, like <laughs> yes, now so now twelve million people watched the pilot episode of the X Files. Is NCIS the most popular show on today? Yes. So NCIS right now is. A ten, a, a normal show right now, like you know, an average like you know primetime sitcom that you know gets like a couple, three or four seasons, pulls like a three. So, <laughs> so like X Files at its peak was pulling a ten point nine. So like to kind of put that in scale, like that is like literally what NCIS d- draws right now. So that is like the top. <laughs> like non-sports broadcast on TV right now. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I actually have during its peak, X-Files is pulling a 19.8. So, so that that's like Clemson versus the cast of Stranger Things. Like that is, <laughs> that is just like <laughs> impossible numbers that any TV exec would just die of priapism if they're pulling. But what in its first season, like for the pilot, it was getting... Hey, hey don't skip ahead. The guy who causes people to get fatal priaprisms is from season three. All oh, right, 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 right. Well, <laughs> before we even got to Prepism guy, actually, I was pulling like a seven. So <laughs> that must have been during Sweeps Week. Yeah. So, so NCIS today is the Michael Jordan of television shows. They get eight point four five million viewers in a country of three hundred thirty million people. The right. X Files pilot show. No one had ever seen this show. No one knew what it was about. They didn't know Julian Anderson was hot or anything like that. 
it got 12 million viewers in the country of, I believe it was like 250 million people. Yeah. Now, obviously, the reason for this is pe- there's a lot more media to consume. People don't have to watch, uh, you know, four networks. Exactly. Or, or, or you know, there, people had cable, obviously, in 93. However, not everybody had cable. That wasn't no. universal. So most people watch the net, like, watch network TV. It's not the case anymore. This is one of the th- – we've, we've talked about this a few times before. There's no more monoculture. Mono, mono this is probably a, a overlooked serious problem with the United – like with the United States or I guess the West or whatever in general because you could – if you watched if you watched TV television shows from the 50s and early 60s, like every show had the same – moral philosophy more or less you were getting the same message everybody was watching that if they were watching tv everybody's on the same page this is who we are we're you know we're Gunsmoke. we're andy griffith this is this is right. who we are as a people now everybody can watch whatever whatever they want that's not in a vacuum a bad thing but here's here's the deal like today on fox news the greg gutfeld show that comes on at like 10 or 11 whatever it comes on the same time that Tonight Show comes on. Mm-hmm. The, you know, the show that used to have Johnny Carson and Jay Leno. Uh, it gets higher ratings than the Tonight Show because, like, if you're a conservative person, you don't watch the Tonight Show anymore, and if you're a liberal person, obviously you are watching the Tonight Show. Like, you have two separate media worlds that people see. Yeah, different... it's entirely different streams at this yes, point. You see different news. Everybody got their news for better or worse from Peter Jennings when the X Files was on. Even if you if you were the most conservative person or the most liberal you got your news from him and you could we could debate whether that was good or bad but at least everybody kind of lived in the same um cinematic universe which which they do not today well i mean there's good and there's obviously good and bad to that and i think uh i mean speaking for us i mean i it's, think it's, it's, it's very good, good yes yeah, we're, don't, we're, watch, we're, don't watch television. Listen to Good Old Voice podcasts, please. Yes, we, <laughs> we get to make shows. I think the main bad thing about it, and um, I think the the freedom is better. But uh, the main bad thing about, I mean, one of the things is like uh, I don't shows they don't get the same budgets that they they got back then, do they? Good question. Maybe. I mean, I want to say they're actually not too different. Like accounting, you know, for obviously inflation and, you know, cost of things naturally going up. But to my knowledge, like your average, like primetime network broadcast show probably has about a similar budget to what a primetime network show had at around that point. TV was kind of semi low status back then. Uh, but it's mm. not today. Today, TV is, is very, uh, uh, there was a period, I guess, before the Marvel movies took off, where kind of being in t- like in a, in a in a prestige TV show was better than being a film actor. And yes. Like, I, I guess if you were a person who really cares about the artistic merits of acting, that's probably still true. Like, if if there whatever the the ver- whatever the Sopranos is for today, I don't know. Whatever prestige TV show is good, they're probably doing more exciting things than the the biggest hit movie of 2023 will be because it's going to be some. It's going to be another Disney movie about like uh, I don't know, the, let's say the 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 Black Mamba, right? Whatever, like some 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 superhero you never heard of, and like it's going to be you. Uh, an AI could have constructed it. It's going to be the same same thing that you've seen a billion times, and it'll make literally a billion dollars. I mean, I really don't think like you know specifically on the network side because that's where I work, and I don't think it's actually changed too much in terms of like perception or or even what the networks are looking for like there's not you're not really looking for like anything particularly 
provocative for like primetime network broadcasts because again, these exist to sell advertising spots. <laughs> old people. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're trying to sell advertising to old people. So you really don't want like, you know, just gonna say breaking bad because that's what came to the top of mind and also because Vince Gilligan was a writer on the X Files. Um but yeah, you, you're not going to put that on like broadcast, you know, network TV. Nor would anyone on broadcast network TV ever pick up something like that. Like they really want something that just a consistent group of mostly normal people are going to like tune in and watch. Which again makes it all the more surprising that X Files made it past a single season. And my my theory for this, honestly, is it was. It was a very different show. It was a very weird show. And it also had the timing of people kind of getting onto the internet in a social capacity for the first mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Yeah. And I, when we, we kind of like mentioned this before and we kind of pushed it to, I, I guess about now makes sense, but like this really was like one of the first like fandom shows of the modern era where you had people kind of actively trying to discuss and figure out specifically where the show was going and what was going to happen. Like you had shows that people were fans of, but you know, we're going back to the Gilgan's Island example. Like you weren't sitting around at the lunch table wondering if they were going to get off the island next week whereas like here you're leading off with like this <laughs> expansive or moreover you don't want them to get off the island next week because then there's no more show it's done it's over so yeah so i think this was like the first time where you know the pilot led off with like this very explicit you know central plot and you know mythology that you know we're gonna be like you know strap in we're gonna be digging into this and so you really did have people kind of actually wondering for the first time in television i think you know with some you know obviously there were uh, again we're going back to soap operas where you know we did have like serialized storytelling but this is kind of like serialized storytelling in the age of the early internet so i think that was a something that did not go missed by the fox network executives and they kind of saw it for like the inevitable cult hit it was going to be and you know that's a reliable viewing audience so therefore it gets to stay <laughs> I'm, la- I'm laughing because i just looked this up uh in 2018 so that was four years ago the median age of the young sh- average of like, the median age of the of a young sheldon viewer the television show young young sheldon on cbs was 57.4 <laughs> And the wow. median the median age of TV of TV viewers uh, for broadcast TV was about fifty nine, I think. Yeah, yeah. fifty nine fifty nine years old. So, and God, that man. was in two thousand fifteen. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's probably gotten as the country's the country's age itself is 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 aging, but I'm sure that that's probably even higher now. So, like, you are quite literally, yeah, trying to get the the. the <laughs> the old people to pay attention to your television show well you're trying you're specifically trying to retain the old people like the the people that are still watching broadcast tv at this point are going to keep watching broadcast tv unless you royally screw something up so i just want to say like uh i mean so i did not watch the show like at all during its run but i i knew through through like um people that were cool watched the show so my cousin was cool he was like one of the coolest guys in school and uh, he watched and he did watched it. And I know specifically, like you were talking about discussing it, cool. Well, they love, ta- especially the smoking man. I don't think he is like he is sort of retained this kind of thing. 
But um, he especially, people were very interested in what's the smoking man? What's he? What's what's he doing? Uh, and uh, also, like uh, I would watch MTV during this time, and I did not watch X Files. But it looks like MTV would just like assume that anybody of that same age bracket was what was gonna was yeah. also an x-files viewer also you have many video you have like two two video games like a playstation game and stuff and um you know there's not there's not a, a, a gilligan's island actually there is there, a, yes there is there's literally a, a gilligan's island uh, video game there's an nes game <laughs> gilligan's island but um there's a cool like silent hill type game for playstation but you know it, it was cool yeah the hellbilly elegy's point about like the internet probably did play a big role in this because you're in, in at the time the show was there you could get on if you were uh, uh if you were in college and a dork you could get on using that and you could talk about uh what you think could happen in in the x files like you said if we're talking about gilligan's island you weren't sending teletypes to the to the you know the the uh georgia tech university to ask them if you think the professor is going to come through this time that just didn't exist yeah, and also like the, the, the it was a great point that you made, Bob Beef. Like the osmosis, I never watched NYPD Blue ever. I never watched it, but like I know through osmosis that the fat guy sh- like showed his butt on television because like I just everybody talked about it. I am not sure that you could that that will, we will ever see that again. The closest thing was probably that game, the Game of Thrones TV show that a lot of people talked about, but that was on HBO, so a lot of people didn't see it. M- maybe The Sopranos. Breaking Bad, this, uh, despite being an excellent television show and, and serialized, and this is exactly the kind of thing you talk about, I did. I never heard anybody in my around me talk about that show at all. I, people online talked about it like crazy. Yeah, no, I same experience here. All the, uh, I assume it's the same for you, Merrick. Uh, rural people or people around me, we're not. I'm not rural, but it's like the same kind of thing. Yeah, everyone likes that Yellowstone. Oh my now. God! Yeah, every like that. That is <laughs> the some, Boomer Cinematic Universe. Some, yeah. Somebody just online described that as uh, succession for Republicans, and like that is such an amazing. I, I've never seen like again. Well, this is like where this thing. Where if you're online, yeah, it, it, you're, it's separate streams. Yeah. yeah I, I, people talk about succession, how great it is. I've never seen an episode of it, and I never will. But like. I, I know that basically the plot of Succession and the plot of Yellowstone like are very similar. They're about the same things. Like you just have, like you said, separate streams. There's the hey, are you kind of a prog- progressive-ish, whatever, urban person? Here's your here's your version. And if you like want to watch Kevin Costner pretend to be a cowboy again, here you go. Yeah. Here you go, uh, Tucker viewers. Enjoy. Yeah. Do, you, do you know who Dasha is? You're watching Succession. Do you not? <laughs> you're watching Yellowstone. I know. Uh- 50 Cent produces, like, he's had, like, two or three, uh, and it's, like, just, like, a drama show for black people, basically. Um, Is that uh, Empire? Yes, I think so. I'm not sure. That was on the list of shows that had, like, by age, it was the youngest median viewer age, which is interesting, of the, the, I don't know what, what the story behind that is, but it was, like, they were... Clocking in at a spry 48 years old, <laughs> a youthful 48. Uh, now, I was watching Duchovny, and I'm I'm not remembering exactly right, but he was talking about that. He said he was hesitant to take the show because once you became, once you got labeled as a TV guy, you were going to be TV guy forever. Mm-hmm. And he was talking, now he, he said one of the things that made him take the role 
I know he couldn't have said NYPD Blue because it started at the same time as X Files. Some kind of prestige show had just. I guess this was that. Um, uh, what were you saying? Had just started. Twin Peaks, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm guess. So he's saying like things. But like she Twin- was also on. <laughs> That's that is interesting. Yeah. There's a cross dresser on that show, right? Yeah. Uh, and so like there was something changing in TV, and that people were more committed to tell the, these like real stories, etc. I mean, the, the thing is, prestige TV had existed before, like. Uh, like shows like um I don't know if Hill, Hill Street Blues was kind of prestigious right, but it, it wasn't it wasn't serialized I don't think, but it was kind of like smart people watched that show even though it was a cop show. It's like they when did Miami be, Miami Vice come out uh, in the eighties, and that was definitely not. Uh, 84 to 89 was definitely a, not a prestige show that was like for people they were for hard us. disagree <laughs> I, don't know, I mean it was it's kind of like halfway there I mean have you, have you seen the pilot yeah yes I, I just think that's a chud show I really do uh, I don't know man it's it's it, I mean it is a step up I like Dukes of Hazard, but it is like a it's in between <laughs> uh, yeah that's a minstrel show for us like you can't really <laughs> Yeah, uh, really Miami Vice is in between Dukes of Hazard and my PD Blue of seriousness. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you can put it, you can lump Dukes of Hazard in with like Hee Haw. That's explicitly just for us. I mean, yeah. not, not that you guys can't enjoy that too. I'm just saying they they were they were laser focused on the demographic for that until the rural purge. Yeah, that would be a good thing to talk about. Oh sometime. yeah, Ooh, we should definitely mm. talk about that. <laughs> yeah, so uh, things that. So first off, this pilot is really good, yeah. right? Is it? I mean, is it like? Uh, do you think it's like all time good, or are pilots generally tend to be uh, good? I no, pilots tend to be not good. Honestly, pilots tend to be crap. Like I, I think mm. this is a definitely one of the better pilots. I, I'll say that. Like I don't know if is like a best episode sort of list episode, right. but in terms of like if you're just ranking like pilots, I think this is a very solid one it's surprisingly straightforward for you know alien procedural drama and clearly it resonated and obviously it was successful and i think it, a lot of that does owe to the pilot and the sort of curiosity it's bond so i'd, I'd yeah. say it's a very successful pilot yeah they knocked it out of the park i mean it might not be an all-time great but like sometimes tv pilots well, you know, the next episode, the real episode, they'll recast it roles completely. They'll have yeah, they'll, it'll completely change tone. They'll, they, the network yes. will have gone in and given them notes and ruined their, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and also the characters who aren't recast, like Mulder and Scully in this episode, they're Mulder and Scully. Like you could rec- they're recognizably Mulder and Scully from the rest of the show. They don't. Yeah, act they, they kept terrible. that surprisingly consistent from start to finish. Like you said, they're very recognizable. Like I, I went back and watched the episode that you guys first reviewed and you know then i watched this one and they're they're the same characters even though it's kind of flipped a bit you know mm-hmm. character wise it's, it's still hitting all the beats they really managed to kind of like get their formula in like a single shot which is a lot better than most tv shows do i think i want to say a little something a little spicy about this show that i noticed it with the beyond the sea especially in the moment in that episode where he uh he like touches her face when they're in the office, which is, you know, it would it, it wouldn't have been it wasn't out of place in '93, but it was today. Also, just forgetting the part where she comes into his hotel motel room uh, in her underwear, when Mulder will say, "Will act crazy, do dumb stuff," and like he turns around and he walks away, she'll like smile at him, like, "Uh, well, you know, just uh, very affectionately, like she yeah. just she really likes him in a, in a way that, you know, it's not it's not." sexual but it's kind of romantic like like she's got a crush on him to some extent from the beginning i'll buy uh, that yeah 
you that wouldn't there was this thing that happened in television and movies in the last we'll say 30 years where there there've all this has always been a part of movies like uh what what's the John Wayne movie where basically it's the taming of the shrew uh, I, I forget which one it is where he's he's got a he's got a, a horrible harpy wife and he just like breaks her down and makes her into a, a, a trad wife by the end of it that existed a lot in movies there was like the yeah. the bitchy wife who becomes a good wife or whatever you you tame her and she's blah 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 but like the the thing that happens now in shows is that there's this weird conflict where women kind of act like they they're insulting and they don't like the the male characters in the show. Like there's this antagonistic relationship. It might not be serious, but it's like if this show was filmed today, when Mulder made some weird comment about aliens to turn around, she wouldn't smile. She would like roll her eyes. She would be she would be annoyed that this guy's wasting her time. So I. Just thinking of this now and kind of seeing and raising like that, I feel like there's sort of like a lost art of ambiguity and kind of like gray space that like their relationship exists in for the entirety of the series. Like it's not 100% platonic, not really romantic, but just kind of like in this, you know, weird state mm-hmm. and that it's, it's totally fine to leave it there that i think just does not exist now like it either has to split one direction where these people are just absolutely never getting together or they absolutely are and it's inevitable and telegraphed for like six straight season i really think that kind of zone is lost in terms of being able to sort of write a character dynamic that just would not happen today i want to bang on the desk and say yes you're right again and and, uh, people can make memes of the rattling microphone like they did the first time like (laughs) you're so right because even before me too this was a thing where it was like you uh, basically if you had that kind of relationship uh, at, at work on camera. This is applying in the 90s and probably even the early 2000s, but by the time we get to the late 2000s, 2010s, whatever, that was kind of a... It's like, isn't it technically a violation of HR to be that way now? And, and certainly after Me Too, you ba- you can get fired for being in that nether region. You have to very explicitly... Uh, going by the rules, not how people act. I'm not naive about this. People are still banging at the office and getting into relationships. But like, the doctrine of, of corporate America is now that's not allowed whatsoever. And beyond even like the workplace aspect, there's this uh, there's this weird concept that like well it's not weird we know why men and women are supposed to kind of be competing and antagonistic towards each other. Uh, the show maybe in the later seasons that I don't remember it, it got into this, but like that you know uh, you know Mulder has privileges or whatever, and she's more accomplished than him and she doesn't get recognition and stuff that doesn't happen in the show that i remember like they have a very convivial relationship or convivial so they 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 touched that a little bit in like season three uh there's sort of like they play it's just a tiny little bit and uh it's just it's not that much the the they have a ton of chemistry and the way their relationship i've had I've had a job where I had a relationship like this. Of and course, it was, I mean, I mean, this is you have you, if you're if you're heterosexual, you have relationships like this with with people of the opposite sex all the time. No, nobody, nobody mm. who's not autistic def, has to have everything so clearly defined. So I, I was this. This was kind of like a. It's not. A, it's basically a seasonal job, but it's the kind of thing where during the season, season, you're you're at work like. 
every waking yeah. second. Yeah, I mean, and, I, and there, one of those jobs where there's more people at certain times of year than there is, you know, at other times of year. They made it's a bit. It was a business that made like like uh, half their half their profit in the span of three weeks. Yeah, half the yearly. Pro- and yeah, so, I, re- I remember you doing that. Yeah, yeah, we remember. Yeah, and there was this woman there, and like I spent like every moment, you know, with her there. We were we would sleep together and stuff. But there was, it was like this. It was just kind of like still most of the time you're just sort of at work and you're um, other in other people at work. They, you know, someone that came up to work and was like, you guys are, you've done it before. Right. And I was like, I was shocked that they could know because all they <laughs> knew was just kind of like the chemistry of like how we talked to each other at work or whatever. But we were very serious and got a lot done. And I, I just thought that was, it was very, it was very well done because that's, that's how it would be like you, like, in, I mean, while I was in that situation, it wasn't like uh, hang up the phone, forget the work. I'm gonna do something, or you know what I mean? Right. It, it was. I, I just thought it was great. That was great. And, 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 and you know, I'm gonna cover my ass. Like I know the concept of stuff they call like work wife, work husband. There are these kind of of nether region things still happening now. I don't think that it's portrayed the same way anymore. And you, know, we all know why. The people who who make like the people who make these shows ultimately they they want us to hate each other. Like that that's like they want us to be some kind of conflict. It's weird. It's bizarre. Mm. I, I'm going to be a little less pessimistic than than you in this. I really think it's more of just. Actually, I don't know if it's more pessimistic or not, but I think it's more of like a death of nuance in general mm-hmm. enter- yeah, entertainment. That's um, a good point. To you, yeah. you make it up. I mean, this this is something that came from the universities and the law. By the way, well, I mean the law. But he's he's right. Like so, think about who who was one of the big shot writers of both TV and some films, like in the late nineties and. And through the 2000s until he got canceled recently, Joss Whedon, right? Uh, he, he he is to the writing profession what Aaron Sorkin is, except Aaron Sorkin's is like all about liberal politics, but Joss Whedon is all about making uh, soap operas where there's like a woman who acts like a man. And, and uh, he his dialogue, he would write these dialogues that are just no human being communicates that way. It, it's no. these little snarky word plays and stuff. Very like Sorkin. It was like Gilmore Girls on meth. It was just like <laughs> yes, perfect. Yeah, and like in what what happens is like he became very popular. Aaron Sorkin obviously became very popular. Aaron Sorkin's dialogue is fucking terrible. Like you know, it, it, it's like he makes George Lucas look like somebody who's has an, a natural talent for for you know understanding the human soul. It's just he, it's it's awful, and, and he was for a time the biggest, one of the biggest, most famous TV writers. TV writers who come up, see, this is what makes you famous. You write like they do. You write their stilted, stupid-ass dialogue, and that's how you, how you'll, you'll, you'll get, you'll get ahead. That's what people like, and that's probably part of this too. And that's like the, you know, the death of nuance. There is nothing nuanced about this. They'll have people just announce how they feel about something like like it was stage direction right like i'm going to explain to you why this makes me mad well that's not good writing that's not that's not there's nothing nuanced or, or entertaining about that like you you watch this you watch this pilot episode and i'm not saying that citizen came but there's a lot of stuff that's going on that has no dialogue they're just looking at each other and reacting to things that's acting that gives you the that gives you the perception there's the two characters who have some kind of relationship that is deeper than the you know the the, sh- the Gilmore Girls on meth. I- I'm glad we're talking about dialogue because I had this noted down from my viewing the pilot, but just like Mulder has like two modes of dialogue in the pilot. I don't know if this is 
just uneven writing or just like a character thing but he will basically go from like the you know quippy autism that we kind of covered with his reactions to <laughs> ape corpses and whatever but th- th- then he also gets super flowery he will just launch into these almost like monologues of this super purple you know star trek like monologue prose and like i can't tell if that's supposed to be just his like new age kind of hippiness coming out or whether it's just uneven writing and them not being totally sure what his character is yet i almost want i kind of want to say the former because i feel like everything else is so ironed out with the characters at this point that you know i feel like it had to have been intentional as as opposed to just being this one blind spot of writing what i get out of that is it's it's because of his his obsession his passion yeah yeah. Like one of the things, so one of the things about like their relationship, or whatever, is that you, you, she, like Scully couldn't be like, um, uh, distant and, and like a, uh, like a bitch basically because, uh, you, like you kind of have to be on Mulder because he, he has, he's like possessed by something. He's super oh, upset. Yeah. And you're this two person team that's roaming around like the backwoods of, you know, America trying to solve these like weird ass things. You really can't have an antagonistic relationship with yes. the person you're working with. Otherwise you're both getting abducted or, you know, sold to Bigfoots. Yeah. Even though they, they do have an antagonistic like mindset in terms of like their, their investigation uh, techniques. But the, the thing about him like breaking out into these, these long, uh, stuff that's like even flowery and stuff. I mean, this is like I used to do this shit, and like you know, <laughs> uh, at some at some point I was at work and this woman asked me about Stalin, and I don't know why. <laughs> and, and you know, I would get like that, and um, it's the thing is like he's been up, he's been up in his head reading and sort of like you know thinking about this kind of stuff. Like he spends every waking moment sort of like watching Alex Jones and reading <laughs> these weird, weird books and stuff like that. So he has these really like uh, bizarre and like unfiltered, like no one's, no one's really like, um, he hasn't presented them to anyone else, but in his head. This, you know is, what I mean? this is why our podcast is, is by the way, we were in a group chat with one of our, our a, a mutual friend and we would do this thing that you're describing where we would just unleash walls of text to each other and anybody who was around. And I, this has been a consistent thing that I would do this all the time, like inappropriately, like because it would be like it would be like that we were having a casual conversation, but I've spent hours and hours yeah. thinking about this thing. And she said, why don't you guys start a podcast and then you can say these things into a microphone so you'll stop saying them to me because it's really getting annoying for you to spam me with the scrap. And that's uh, so like, yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. Like, yes, that, yeah. that, that, is the, that is the way that I would look at it, too. Mulder is passionate about alien justice. <laughs> <laughs> there was something that we, I said that we would get to later and we never did because uh, we were talking about this, this will-they-won't-they thing. And... Uh, this 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 is a formula too, and especially in television. And like I think moonlighting was probably the first time that it became the focus of the show. Right? There's these two people, this man and his woman, and the whole focus of the show is are they going to become a, a you know boyfriend and girlfriend? And what happens in every time that this is a plot point in any television show? It happened in Cheers like twice, and it happened in Moonlighting. As soon as they do become a couple, the show sucks forever. You've 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 crossed the Rubicon. It's never going to be the same show again. It's not it's not going to be fun anymore because if the focus was entirely on this relationship aspect, well, that's over now. It's resolved. What are you going to talk about now? Yeah, I mean, the best version yeah. of this is like uh, Bond. no no one would watch like 
like imagine the home life of uh, Jack and Rose from Titanic. I mean, like this, like these people can't really be together. I mean, they they can have sex, but I mean, <laughs> did you see the, this meme recently? Someone posted that like they had a picture of him on the raft and a picture of uh, what what was her name? The name of the actress and her age at the time of filming was twenty six. And then the next frame of the meme is him falling off. <laughs> He's like, see, he's like, there was room on the raft, but she just turned 26, so it was, it was over for Leo. That's hilarious, but but you you see what I mean? Like, there's this this would not um, this would not work. But yeah, uh, no, of course not, because the whole this is the problem with like I said, where how almost every television show has soap opera aspects now. This is a, this is a problem because you can't ever reach the finish line, and it's gonna and it in. Unless like you're going to end the show, and then you everybody lives happily ever after, which is this is a problem too in general with serialized television shows that don't have like this structured like if if you don't structure it from the very beginning, they meander and they become crappy. Like this is very famously with Lost, it just it's nothing but. Um, teasing the whole time, right? You're just being edged for eight seasons, and there's no possible answer to the mystery that would be as good as the edging. It's like, that's the same way with like their relationship in this show. If, if, and I guess in the end of the very end of the show, they do like uh, run away together. But by then the show sucked. Like who cares? Like once, once they drop the pretenses, it's, it's boring now. Well, I mean, the, the, the point is that this isn't a, this show is not a love story between these two characters. I mean, you know, it's almost, it's like a gradient above. So, you know the the OG Star OG kind of similar in a lot of ways is like the OG Star Trek, but you know because OG, OG Star Trek had like you know the Phyllis, they had like Monster of the Week. However, I think Star uh, OG Star Trek was even more character driven. Like uh, you could have a lot of OG Star Trek with no sort of like uh, these like mini stories of etc. Of just like the 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 great character interactions between um, Bone Spock and and Kirk. This, I mean, that's there, but it, it is even less, is more demoted than this, where, like, you know, we, we have this, like, this, like, you know, uh, amazing stories, Robert E. Howard stuff that we're, we're, we're these characters are taking a, taking us on. Their, their interaction with each other is not the point of the show. No, and the show would, uh, I've said this before, the show would have been better if they had excised all of the serial plot stuff and just been nothing oh but God. but there, monster there, shows remember it, like the 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 plot stuff is like 10 percent of the show max but it, in in late as the show progresses it becomes more and more of it and that's when the show became bad and plus it just it gets so convoluted and i i don't i'm not a fan of it i love the, the monster episodes the first one to two episodes of each season is a is a plot episode one to two of the middle, very, very middle are a plot episodes, and one to two of the end are a plot episodes. Everything else is Monster of the Week. Uh, le- le- anyways, like he said, Chris Carr, he says, these characters are just there to bring us on this this kind of like, is it, a, like, I think that it's, it's an, I want to claim it for America, that the Weird Tales, H.P. Lovecraft, Robert E. Howard, short story, Monst- Monster of the Week is like one of the great, it's like we got blues music and Monster of the Week short stories. <laughs> As America, <laughs> you know what? I, I I will I will die on this hill with you. I I'm there. Yeah, well, be uh, my buddy Hellbelly Aggie's here with me. What's your favorite television show of all time? Oh man, uh, sorry, it caught me off guard there. Twilight Zone, uh, Twilight Zone, mine. yeah. Yeah, because well, yeah. in many uh, yeah, we 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 uh, when the New Year's 
Twilight Zone marathon. Yeah, you know, yeah, we would basically just, you know... B- before, live, <laughs> before live tweeting was a thing. Yeah, we before do- watching things with, you know, people remotely was, like, a thing. We were kind of pioneering it by sitting all by ourselves on New Year's <laughs> Eve, like, super cool people, <laughs> and breaking down the Twilight Zone marathon. Yes, the tw- Twilight Zone is the... Is the uh, the the original like the original version is so is so perfect yeah it, there's a reason for this it's a huge country it's full of all kinds of uh, all kinds of weird stuff like you know the the you know Southern California and Maine are like another planet you, you this this you make if you're talking about the entire continent of Europe you could say okay yeah there's a lot of like diverse landscapes you know you can never leave the country and see like every type of terrain yeah every kind of place and there's all kinds of weird people and there's they're so spaced out from me from each other that they can develop into weird little subcultures it's great this is who this is part of who we are the 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 weird dangerous woods and and stuff like that that is you're right that is a you yeah uniquely american thing yeah 100% 100% agreed. You know Death Valley, uh, Death Valley, California? Yeah. Yeah. There is a cave in Death Valley. There's a little hole to it uh, with like, there's a, there's a cave system underneath it. It's all flooded and it like goes like they, people have been like 300 feet deep. No one's been further. Uh, like there's animals that only live there. That's just a, like there's a million of that. But however, like you know, I hey, think- coincidentally, you know, there was an anthology television show back in the 50s and or maybe early 60s called Death Valley Days. It was just an anthology series, totally different characters, but it's all set in Death Valley. Not much to do other than Death Valley doesn't sweat your ass off. But um, the the uh, I, I don't know. I think the the monster of the week serial thing is like a, 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 a this is american institution it, it, like it supersedes everything 100 percent. i mean you know i think it comes from sort of like the you know regional oral like folklore and tradition like it absolutely does come from all of that i feel and i, I think yeah. a, a thing a lot of people really underestimate kind of going to your point of like southern california maybe being different planets like america is fucking huge like i've like driven across texas and it just does not end like you, you really don't grasp like how really far and sprout is and just you know the yeah. variety of you know biomes and climates and everything is just far be it's it really is like you know what the entirety of europe contains just all in a single country here about the variety of, of the, that's in new jersey the state where yeah, the uh, smallest yes. state <laughs> yeah it's not the smallest state one, one just one of the smallest oh, okay gotcha it, it, it's surprising like go, going north to south in new jersey is literally like six hours like yeah, it is surprisingly mega city hmm. one to like to like pine wilderness full of for weird, yeah. full of weirdos. Uh, here's my view. Like when we're Represent. talking, we're talking about <laughs> we're talking Jersey about, Devil episode, by the way. Yes. Hell yeah. If we're talking about the, the diversity of like television shows here, you got serialized versus self-contained. And the X Files is like, like you said, it's 10% serialized in the beginning, and so right, and, and, you know, Twilight Zone 100% self-contained. My view on this is, it's like in a, in a movie. You you guys have I know that Hellbell Egg and but you, you too, right, Bog Beef? You like the, the long one-shot scenes, right? The oneers. Yeah. yeah. Right. You have to be really good as a director to to make a a, a long like a long one. Like the, you know the 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 Goodfellas one's one of the most famous, where he's taking her to the nightclub. I know Bog. Copa, Copacabana. Yes, I remember you would show us you would show us that, and you would you know gush about it because it's it's great. But you have to do a, like a really good oneer. You have to be really good at your job. You have to you have to be excellent. To make a good serialized 
story, you have to be a really good writer. You have to be a good director. You have to you have to be on the you have to be the guy who you have to be Vince Gilligan, right? Breaking Bad, whatever. If you don't like TV or not, if you like TV or not, that's a really good show. And there's not really many people who had bad things to say about it. And it's completely serialized. It's just a great story. I even liked it, and I don't like anything on TV anymore. But he's really good at that. Whereas if maybe you're not the you're not the best TV director writer. Self-contained is the way to go because you're, you know, you're, you're, you have a chance to like if you screw up and you make a bad episode, it doesn't really matter because next week you're on to the next thing. Yeah. There were some Twilight Zone episodes that are like really, really bad. <laughs> there are a little, there's some that are just like a little too weird. I don't mean even just in like a you know strange or unreason. I mean like this this concept is just clear like clearly something someone wrote on like the back of a napkin and had a very passionate feeling about. And what if we were dolls in a trash can? <laughs> that was literally the one that was in my head i was also going to say if uh what if you know store mannequins just came to life for like one day out of the year and lived these like little store mannequin lives for a day and then went back to being store mannequins like that's that's like a raving fever dream of a Twilight Zone episode with it. and you give yourself a lot of leeway doing that and that's why yeah. that's why the 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 switch to serialization hasn't necessarily been the best thing for you know, tel- television or, or streaming. When you say TV now, you can mean like streaming series and all, and all this stuff. Everything now has to be a serial. And a lot of times they don't do a very good job of it. And it becomes a soap, like soap operas were the original serials. They were extremely well, serialized. That's, that's also because not many people are consuming shows on a discrete weekly basis anymore. Yes, that, that is absolutely right. If we were, you know, if, if the X-Files came out to, came out today it would be 14 episodes and they would all drop on netflix on the same day and people would be you know you would when bog beef watched the x-files like he you were watching you know i don't know i don't know what rate you did it but you knocked out a a, a couple a couple years of the serial stories in in a short time like you were seeing it as super compressed you weren't seeing it organically and nobody does now because everybody everybody been the concept of binge watching exists and this creates this creates a huge flow problem for any story like if if yes. the person's watching you see this a lot if you if you watch old tv shows like streaming or whatever where there are no commercials like even something as minor is did this scene happen three minutes ago or did it happen a half a second ago i literally just almost you know slapped my desk too right now <laughs> yeah. because because so i actually watched this streaming but free streaming with commercials and I, the first time was with commercials the second time was it and there's actually a big noticeable pacing difference of just like yeah having that minute and a half breather between scenes does something to your brain where you can process that okay this could have been anywhere from you know 30 minutes to you know the next day and that's totally fine if when i was watching it like without the breaks and it was just like they're here now they're here like it really yeah. does kind of mess it's up jarring the, yeah it, no it really messes with the flow i mean th- this you know maybe this is not this is this is overthinking it but i don't think so like I, I if you watch like a medical procedural show like you'll have the right before the commercial break oh no he went to cardiac arrest and then yeah. after the commercial break 
Well, he's, he, we got him. He's in stable condition. That yeah, is there's no weird. time for tension or drama yeah. because you know you've gone from scene A to the resolution of scene A without any time to really kind of react, get invested, think about you know stuff that happened earlier in the episode that may or may not and you know influence the chances of surviving. You're just kind of dumped right into it. it, it this it, is it, the mini version of the so with the serialized show, there was a lot of cliffhanger stuff where people would discuss for weeks. I remember like I don't remember exactly what it was i just remember watching uh, uh mtv once and there was like some light discussion where they were like like uh, uh talking about like oh what do you think the smoking man is? something like there was there was some kind of uh light discussion about a cliffhanger well this thing you know with the with the monster of the week stuff you have a cliffhanger through like two of the uh two of the commercial breaks you know so the gun gets pointed dun, 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 and then then it cuts to Bulger's in your cup. You know, you're like, God damn it, what's going to happen? It's amazing to think back, because I've said before, I liked the the uh, the Patrick Stewart Star Trek show when I was a kid, Next Generation. I loved that show. There was, a, there was a season where they had a cliffhanger at the end of the season where it's like, you thought Captain Picard was going to die. And uh, that... W- that... I don't want to say it's unimaginable now, because they do stuff like that now, but it's like... That was so unusual at the time. The idea that you would cliffhanger this until the, an entire you know an entire year had passed, and it would just it would it, I guess today would be like you know we we find out now three if you hit the little next button on Netflix. So I'll tell you this from like a kind of production standpoint. I think in general you wouldn't see that now just because. I feel like you, you'd know if a show is going to get renewed by like the second episode of a given season. So I feel like a lot of that suspense is gone. And also, I think people are much more aware of when a show is actually canceled or not canceled or continued you know, year to year. But I, I don't f- the only cliffhangers I think you really see now in terms of like a between seasons ones are kind of like ones that are sort of more meant to give them room to either pick it back up if they get renewed or you know if it gets canceled and ends you know it can end on this sort of ambiguous note i really don't think you see like story driven cliffhangers as much you know at this point on a you know year long span at this point in time by the way they did have the the thing where you you watch the whole show in, in one thing i was watching um red letter media and he was talking about he brought up that thing is that where the board came in where the, they had the big cliffhanger yep yeah man. so uh rich rich evans said that he started watching star trek because uh, there was a huge like pop culture buzz about the cliffhanger and he's like oh wow this is this is really interesting i watched the old star trek maybe i'd be interested in this and then there were there'd been several marathons they did through the year where you could watch like the whole the whole the whole show uh and then like he caught up through marathons yeah marathons was like yeah that yeah. was a, a thing back in- <laughs> that's a funny yeah. thing a marathon tv marathon clear clear my schedule <laughs> <laughs> clear yeah, new year's eve yeah be like during the holidays and stuff you had like just three yeah. days of, of a tv show that's crazy that is nostalgic yeah um, I, I clear my weekend i'm catching up on all of charles in charge hold my calls <laughs> take the phone off the hook you know now thinking about like black mirror and stuff i'm more sold on the idea that uh that and also like you know in philosophy if you if you if you mess with philosophy a little bit like there are a lot of philosophical concepts that are almost, they're like usually introduced with a Star Trek episode, the OG Star Trek. Black Mirror is shit now, by the way. Like, the, 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 you know, he tried to make 
Twilight Zone for the 21st century, and for like three seasons or whatever, he did a great job of it. It was, it was like every episode, you would get the same feeling, like, oh god, and that could happen. You know that 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 people like it's when you watch Revenge of the Twilight Zone, you see there's like a space alien from Venus who's coming down to Earth to screw things up. That wasn't like an outrageous idea to people in the late in like 1959. Maybe that could happen. Maybe there could be a nuclear war, whatever. All these things. Maybe there are uh, sea creatures that are going to come out and kill us. People didn't know stuff. People. It was a very tense time. Black Mirror. Every episode's like, hey, what if they figure out a way to put a smartphone in your brain and screw your life up? Yeah, I could see that happening. And then, like the last few seasons, and I, 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 I watched this the, the one episode of it, and I just like, I'm, I'm done with it. Like they had this thing where it was like, uh, wouldn't it be cool if you were stuck inside of a video game? Like, wouldn't that be awesome? Or what if you up, old people uploaded their brain consciousness into a simulated 1980s city where they could uh, live forever? And, like, this is a cool, heartwarming thing. That's not, that's like the opposite of what Black Mirror should be. You should be telling you why that would be horrible. Why and, but, the Matrix is awesome. Yes, exactly. But, <laughs> you know, the Black, Black Mirror never got awards before they started doing this slop like these sh- these shows where it's like hey wouldn't it be awesome if we became transhumanist would that be neat and like then they just got showered with emmys because you know there was a, a, a morality shift in the show and you know, i don't need to go further than that well if we just put a knife on a robot wouldn't that be scary <laughs> well the the, the, high, the high a Roomba with a straight razor test to it well, either way, like the height of Black Mirror, the height of X Files, the height of of um, all this stuff is like a like horror sci fi short story. Yeah. This this is American tradition. I assume it, it probably goes back before H. P. Lovecraft, but I'm think, but he, he's like the 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 man with this stuff, right? Ah, uh, they're different. They're different traditions. Like the sci the this the, the sci fi thing is very American. And I don't say I don't think we invented it, but it became our thing just because we were a young country, very dynamic at the time that this became popular. The idea that we were going to go to outer space seemed more reasonable. Lovecraft yes. is kind of the, kind of a throwback to like uh, you know Ichabod Crane. I, I was going to say he's very New England. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which actually I know is a slur on this show, but you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah. put well, asterisks there in the yeah, in the yeah, e yeah no, it, like it, his writing is very steeped in like you know exactly what Merrick was saying, northern like gothic, kind of, right, 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 northern gothic, like it, it, it's not sci-fi like as such because like you know real sci-fi is like uh you know Jules were like what if we made a, a boat that could go to the bottom of the sea uh you know but like uh you know a little bit of aliens maybe a little bit of. Uh, 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 Combined with horror, we keep hyping that fluke man. Like you know, I feel like that's like our. I'm gonna get so disappointed if we get when we get that, to that. That, <laughs> that, that. That's our serialization. You know, we're going to keep promising to get to the fluke man. And <laughs> I got the video games here. I haven't. I'm booted up. I heard one of them is like good, uh, but I'm. It's. It feels like they mean good for a a, um, a licensed game. game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that era of PlayStation games, I never, I didn't have a PlayStation, but it just they don't seem that good. Like I don't, they don't. I, I don't they were I never, so good. They were I don't so understand good. the appeal of Resident Evil. You, uh, you ever play Metal Gear Solid? No. Metal Gear Solid is like, um, like the greatest spy movie you've ever seen. Yeah, it's, it's so a lot good. of cutscenes, right? Yeah, yeah. On Benadryl, it's the greatest spy movie you've seen on massive amounts of Benadryl. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but I was watching. I was watching a. Um, I watched two movies every Sunday. Last Sunday, I watched one of these was uh, Murphy's Law. Chuck Norris. No, um, Charles that? Bronson. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. So Bronson did like, uh, you know, Death Wish one through three, and then you have 
four and five are like B movies. On the side, he made like 10 billion B movies that are like Death Wish fan fiction, basically. And <laughs> one of the one of the scenes in this in this Murphy's Law, it looked like I, I saw it and I was like, damn, Metal Gear Solid t- stole this fucking scene. Uh, it was like the sniper <laughs> that, that scene. That would be uh, not surprising, you know, given how Kojima rolls. Yes, yeah, like the 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 scene where there's a woman sniper sort of shooting at him, and he's anyways. It was just like that, but um, uh, yeah, I don't know. Have you watched uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen yet? No. Yes, you, you, great movie. Watch it. Just just was that Sean Carpenter? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I should yeah. the music. I should have known. Yeah. Yeah. Watch, watch it and thank me later. Read. All right. Uh, is the movie? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's a, it's a gritty. Shootout movie. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard it, to it, define it's, it. It's a, it's a it's a modern western. Yeah, fair enough. Exactly. Yeah. Man, and movies like I don't even consider myself the biggest movie guy, but I just think of the things movies. One time I went to this woman's house and I, I was there to do do the job. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she was like, "Oh, I got the, I rented this movie, Children of Men," and I'm like, "Wow!" Talk about not being able to read the room. Jesus Christ. <laughs> And I was like, you know, I'm like, yeah, whatever. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, uh, uh, you know, thumbing the, the rubber in my wallet or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, getting the booze ready and stuff. But then I sat there and watched that whole goddamn movie. Because uh, I was like, well, this is, a, uh, I was just entranced by uh, by watching it or whatever. It's, anyways, uh, we're, we're done here. Netflix and chill, but you're watching Misery. Yeah. <laughs> just not the right, not the right genre for the moment. Yeah. We need to we need to stop the the horror situation. We need to uh, you know they're not gonna have babies anymore. <laughs> exactly, dude. What did you just learn from this movie? Because I got some thoughts about it. <laughs> <laughs> they can-